0: Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Saturday, August 26th. This is episode 42. I'm Tony.
1: And I'm Dennis. And we're joined by a super special guest, Batman. Don. Oh. Yeah. No, our super super special. Batman. Super special, Don, Don, formerly of the Pinball Podcast, formerly of the Link Cable Podcast, and currently of the No Podcast, is on our podcast. So, uh, welcome to this podcast, Don. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So we got we got all sorts of stuff, but as we uh, w- as we love to do before we roll into our main topics, we do our introductions. Uh, so, just generally outside of pinball and video games, Don, is there anything that's been going on? I, Your listeners, of which you've now abandoned all of, uh, haven't heard anything (laughs) in in at least a month. I think, if I remember my my last listen of the Link Cable now Canadian Cable podcast.
2: Yeah, it's been uh, been five or six weeks. Uh, I have a technically not pinball, but sort of pinball news. I picked up a last week. I picked up a bally skill roll game. It's 1958 coin-op game. You drop a nickel in. And there's little handles on each side of the cabinet, and you flick them, and it'll flick to uh, a different slot for the nickel to drop in, and you get different points. So it's an EM game, and I think it's only got two reels, two uh, stepper units in the back. And a buddy of mine knew I wanted one and saw it at a garage sale, so he grabbed it for me, and I picked it up. A little bit of
1: cleaning and tweaking, and uh, it works great. So what what is the... What's the term for those style of games? Is there is there a category that they're just called? I don't know.
2: Yeah, just an arcade game, I guess. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I there's there's know.
2: a few different types and different brands. And this one was actually remanufactured in 1998 uh, with a billiard theme, and it has a DMD bad and girls? whatnot. Yeah, bad girls. No, this one's got a DMD, so closer to Q Ball Wizard. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good nickel flipping games. I don't know.
1: Hmm. Well, someone can write in if they know. They won't know. We hmm. won't hear back on that. It's a really That's cool a game. Point. They've
2: got one at uh, Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas. I spent a lot of time playing that one, so I'd always kept an eye out for it.
1: I have never been to Vegas, much less Pinball Hall of Fame. have to go to Vegas, man. It's awesome. I don't know. I, what if I lo- lose all my money? Don't gamble. I don't gamble. I go and
2: I eat lots of good food and play pinball and see a bunch of cool stuff.
1: Hmm. You could set uh, up. You um, could go to Evo. You always watch
0: evil, yeah. might as well watch evil in person.
1: Oh, gosh, but, but then I'd feel like I should have entered because well, just you should have these little whippersnappers. You just, you just like get in the pools and get knocked out in the first like 40 seconds. Uh, yeah, your lack do of
2: that abilities is frustrating. <laughs> do that, then just hang out and have fun in Vegas the rest of the time.
1: Hmm, okay. Well, it will ha- it'll have to go on the list of, of potential tourist trap places for me to yes, <laughs> uh, Tony. What's going on? Did you buy a, a nickel flip? also? Surprise of surprises, I didn't. Boo. <laughs> no. I know.
0: I have been mainly just working on uh, getting stuff ready. My youngest birthday is tomorrow, That's why we're recording on a Saturday. And just been working on stuff around here and dealing with work stuff. I haven't done a whole lot. And playing way, way, way too much cold waters. Let's see. I bought sniper elite Four, cold waters and um, no man's sky within a day of each other. And we'll be talking about all of them later, but so far cold waters has over 30 hours of play (laughs) and everything else is much, much lower.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're putting the time in on it because I know that was the one where you, you didn't wait for a big sale. So uh, you're, I recall your initial debate was, well, should I have waited? And, but, Sounds like you shouldn't have if you're playing. No, no, it.
0: no. Yeah, it's been it's been enjoyable. Awesome. Oh, I've also been organizing my Steam um, games. I've actually been putting them into categories and organizing stuff, so maybe it's a little bit more coherent than just a list of games, ninety nine percent of
2: which have never been played. Can you do yeah. folders and whatnot inside of Steam?
0: Yeah, That's you cool. uh, you can go into a game and you can choose set categories and you can make custom categories that they fall into. Okay. So I've got like, I mean, I've got categories like, um, episodic or card games or first person shooters. And I've also got ones that are like, I need to finish this game or I should really start this game.
2: (laughs) That's good. Gives you something to do on a rainy day. Don't know what to play next.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I do mine by, well. by genre.
2: Mine's just a big list.
0: That's what mine was up until just recently. I just had a massive list of... Oh, except for I I, I was using the favorites, because any game that I was playing currently, I would put in favorites, so I didn't have to hunt it down. It'd always be at the top.
1: Well, I, I could keep doing the big list thing. I, I have less than 100 games on Steam, so it, it's not hard. Do you, do you uh, pin games on Xbox One, Dennis? I do if uh, if they're not retail discs. I've got the digital copies. I'll pin them if I'm playing them constantly, or I need to do uh, like a daily login for some of the free to play stuff. If I want to keep getting the boxes, so I don't have to do any work. Okay, uh, I'll I'll pin those. Yeah, so so digital games I'll pin so that I can just stay on the home screen and jump right to them, and then I unpin them when I'm done playing playing them.
2: Yeah, so same kind of idea as what Tony's doing. It sounds like. Yep.
1: Well, uh for me, not a whole lot. Uh actually Tony and I uh went and did uh one of our area monthly pinball tournaments last weekend and it's only noteworthy because there were actually four of us, a couple couple guys who just like my brother-in-law and, and another person uh who just go to that one. They just go to that one monthly. It's a it's a little more friendly, I'd say. Everyone's friendly at all the, at, at all the tournaments, but I think it's a little less intimidating for people who don't play all the time. And it was only, it was noteworthy because it was, I think in the first time I ever saw when I finally looked over at those old IFPA ranking tracks where we all finished above last place. So, so everyone, everyone was a winner. We really on. All losers. So, cause that's pinball. Uh, other than that, actually I did earlier today as I had to do laundry, cause I've been out of town for work. I went down and finally put my name at the, at the top on the Sharky Shootout leaderboard. Tony came over the first day I had it working. <laughs> it was after our pinball tournament, and he got to put his initials on the game. He had like a 10-minute first ball. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and then another person put their initials on, and I didn't have my initials on my own game, which, of course, is humiliating. So I, I, I had a couple successful games during the week, but I was like, no, I need to be the grand champion. So I finally was able to do that. <sighs> Congratulations. Now I don't have to play it anymore. I've I've won. That's It'll never spell. play again. It'll just sit probably, there. Probably not. I've won it. I won just the don't, game. Don't let Tony play it again. Yeah, no, no. Well, considering
0: shouldn't. the way my other ball two and ball three were so terrible, it was just ball one and well, and the extra ball on ball one that was really good. Well, the yes. extra ball on ball two wasn't bad
1: either. Yes. So, but Sharky's is my my bad girl's replacement since I couldn't get a hold of one. Just had to make do. So sad. It was. It's very sad. But you know what's not sad? Our first segment. Actually, it, it is sad. Uh, not our very first segment. Seg- yeah. Not yeah. our very first segment. Uh, so, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But uh, in happier news and in, in pinball, I actually did an interview earlier in the week with Terry who is an owner he and his wife own Pinball Life which anyone who's ever had to work on a pinball machine is probably familiar with Pinball Life because it's a parts supplier uh, and so I I contacted him to talk about the company itself and you know sort of how how it's organized the things they sell things like that but thanks to Don I also learned that Terry was involved in a bagatelle project called Scorgasm Master so We did talk about that at the end of the interview uh, because he just sort of gave a a background on what what went into all of that and an update as to where that project sort of stands as it were. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'll drop that interview in here and then we're going to come back and we're going to continue doing the podcast. Well, everyone, this is Dennis with the Eclectic Gamers podcast. I'm here with Terry, one of the owners of Pinball Life. Terry, thanks so much for taking the time out of the day to speak with me problem at all I guess to start with I, I think a lot of people on the pinball side who have ever had to acquire parts are familiar with pinball life but I was wondering if you could give us a little bit about the about the history of your company
3: uh, well it all started by accident really which I guess is probably the way most good things do um, it was uh, 14 years ago I bought a pinball machine back then there was very little going on going on online for uh, parts especially an add-to-cart environment basically just really didn't exist. I learned pretty quickly that your machine breaks, first of all, because they're all one ball from broken, and then uh, then you have to try to fix it, and it was uh, actually quite a struggle. So I then realized that I just happened to live by complete accident in the city that originally made all the pinball machines. So, I just started uh, reaching out trying to uh, see if I could, first of all, find NOS stuff because I figured, like, well, if I could find manufacturers, at that time it hadn't been so long since William had closed. Williams had closed. It had just been a couple years. I figured, like, well, maybe they've got just stuff sitting around. I know this is really naive, but I just thought, eh, I'll call them. And uh, I ended up, you know, getting a few relationships with different companies, and there wasn't a whole lot of NOS to be found, but. Uh, there was uh, parts that could be made. You know, the problem is, is you know, I would need one part, but they want to they want to make you a thousand. Right, you know? right. And so I ended up. You know, that's back when eBay was really hot. If you remember that, and uh, eBay was a great uh, catalyst for uh, my company because I don't even think I was calling it a company yet. I'm not really sure. I was a stay-at-home dad messing around on the computer. I uh, would sell the extra parts on eBay, and I would also throw in a little information flyer about the tiny little site that I had, because how is anybody ever going to find it? But that really helped, so everybody who bought a little part on eBay, and people used to go to eBay all the time to buy pinball parts, it was a big place to buy them at one point, and don't think it is as much anymore but i could be wrong i maybe just stopped paying attention i'm not sure
1: i I turn to it still from time to time for for very obscure things such like atari parts for example
3: right Uh, yeah something that you know maybe someone's selling or they just have some NOS stuff that they're finally dumping or something like that but for us it was great because it helped get our name out there every time you bought a part on ebay we put our little flyer in there about pinball life and you know obviously at the time i mean i mean the first year we were in business i mean i was just basically messing around i wasn't even really taking it seriously uh i was raising two kids i had uh i was working a full-time job Uh, my wife and i were trying to raise two kids it got to the point basically you know cut to the chase that i got busy enough that i basically was going to just shut it down because I had a full-time corporate gig, and I would do that 50 hours a week, and then I was working another 40 hours on Pinball Life, and it was, you know, that's just, you up being productive in neither end, I was going to shut it down, and my wife said, like, well, why don't you just quit your corporate job and do that full-time and, you know, stay home with our kids, and so... I thought, well, if she's with me, that's great. So we did that for a couple years. um, And basically, by the time my wife was pregnant with her third child, I asked her if she wouldn't mind not going back to her corporate job. So then it ended up being, we were kind of live without a net. And we worked out of our home, we worked out of a smaller home for four years and then moved to a bigger house with a bigger basement that lasted a couple of years. Then we bought our first uh, small warehouse. That lasted a couple of years, and then we knocked down a wall and bought a bigger warehouse right next door. And that's where we're at right now. So that pretty much brings you up to speed.
1: And anyone who who goes and visits the Pinball Life website, which we'll have a link to you in our in our show notes, so people will be able just to click and uh, go there. Obviously, there are a lot of pinball products that are available through through your site. Uh, I was wondering how you organize it all is it is it sort of departmentally coded or do you do some other method to to keep it from uh, becoming madness
3: It's you know what it's a struggle it's keeping we don't have the uh, sort of volume that say like an Amazon has that has automatic pickers and you know everything is you know super computerized every SKU is scanned and you know, we're we're never going to be a volume, a big enough volume business where that makes sense. I've looked into that sort of thing, and not only is it expensive to buy this uh, that sort of system, inventory and stock system, it's also very expensive to use it because you buy the equipment and then you still have to lease the software, or mm. basically infinity. You know, they never really sell it to
1: you. Right, right. right. It's yeah. So,
3: so you know what we do here is you know it's a pretty manual process, but we've got it down. There's a lot, you know there's thousands of parts to keep organized, coming in, going out every day. Uh, I do have uh, a full time purchaser, receiver, and shipper, uh, and and Justin here who does a great job. So I mean there is somebody who that is that is their full time job to do that.
1: Okay. Uh, and in terms, of, in terms of the customer base that, that buys from you, what, what, are, what sort of entities? Obviously, uh, private collectors, since um, I, that's, that's me in my limited case.
3: It's uh, it basically broken down into three categories, and 50% of it is just direct website sales, which the, the majority of that is going to just end users who need a part or 10. That's about 50%. You know, just add to your cart and check out. Right. Uh, another 25% is uh, wholesale to resellers uh, around the world. I think we have uh, wholesalers in 23 different countries around the world uh, that will ship out either large boxes or even pallets or multiple pallets of parts to, and they resell it in their country on their online shop. And the other 25% is OEM supply. So that's making assemblies, rubber, plastic, metal parts for companies that are manufacturing pinball machines.
1: Okay. In terms of the, the diverse assortment of, of parts that you have at Pinball Life, what, what are, at this stage, what are the chief means of, of your acquisition? You noted that you started with NOS, new old stock sourcing, but at this stage, is it mostly just having pieces manufactured for you, or, or do you still... Uh, it's
3: a, we, we own more tools than I can count. Rubber, plastic, and metal. Uh, so we own lots and lots of tubing. Uh, some people tend to think that there's this secret place that all the pinball parts are, and I know about it, and you don't. So you have to <laughs> buy them from me, which is, by and large, not the case. Just about everything, the vast majority, I will say, of everything, we are we are manufacturing. So we are making the drawings submitting it to industry getting tools made running our tool and getting the getting the product made so some things that are you know you just don't really think about you take for granted I mean if you break it down something like a flipper assembly I mean you're looking at 10 12 different tools uh, seven or eight different uh, manufacturing entities you know to bring that whole thing together um, there just isn't a place that you can just secretly go get stuff offline, and that's where we get it. I wish it was that easy. Uh, it definitely isn't. So uh, our sourcing is pretty much, I mean, 90%, it's, we're its making it.
1: Oh, okay. I, I had no idea it was that high of a level. I, I figured you must manufacture some of it, but... Uh, what about uh, people who – there are a lot of, uh, I'll just say, hobbyists that, you know, do things like mod construction and stuff or, or do very niche sort of things in pinball. Do any of them have relationships with Pinball Life for having their products yeah. sold through you?
3: Sure. Uh, Laserific sells a lot of their products through us. Uh, Bright Mods sells a lot of their products through us. Uh, pinball Universe makes a few different uh, things that we that we sell. and And that's – I mean – Greg Ferris, he has some prints of back glasses that he sells through us. Uh, Cliffy protectors, we sell his product, uh, Pin Score, which that's not really a mod, I guess, but you know we sell those. And there's various other ones too. Uh, there's a lot of people that you know they've just made something and they they want to source a retail outlet, I guess, is what you'd call it in the internet sense to to sell their product. And if they get a hold of me, it's usually just always just a handshake deal and. You know, as long as they want to make it, uh, we'll make it, uh, or we'll sell it. You know, like, we've been selling that uh, laser mod for Star Trek Next Generation that Mick Ragella makes, I mean, for about as long as I've been in business. Mm. He's been really good. He's real consistent. The arc I usually see in people who have made one or two items and want to sell them is they're super excited at first, and they pressure you to get the to buy the product you get the product the next day they're like I don't see it on the site yet they're like okay give me a minute you know I'll get it we'll get there get it up on the site start selling it yeah we for lucky we run out of products we reorder. order yeah they're excited they get the next set of 25 or whatever right out to us and then the next time I order they say oh well okay give me a week and then the next time they don't answer your email for a week and they realize that this thing that they are really excited about is just now work oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it just sort of sort of fades off into the distance a lot of times. So a lot of these mods end up having a life because people just get sick of doing it because it's exciting to make a new product and get it out there, develop it, do the research, do the testing, the QC. But when it comes to the factory work end of it, you know, sitting there in your kitchen putting them together, you know, three nights a week. Right. It's, and it, it's not a living. You know what I mean? So... You get people that are, you know, a lot of times that sort of dies off. But, yeah, I'm I'm always open to selling other people's product. I think it's like, why not? I mean, it's someone else does all the work and <laughs> they want me to sell it, I will definitely do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I had noticed some, uh, I guess that's why a lot of those mods that I've just seen out and about over time are usually eventually unavailable after a relatively right. short period. Creation is fun, construction is not. Sort of Well, my, when it
3: comes from but, a... It comes from a hobbyist sense. I mean, you know, a lot of those people, they stop doing because they get out of the hobby. I mean, the average life of a hobby is about three years. So, you know, a guy can get into a hobby and be really into it and want to do all these things. And then, you know, he finds the next hobby or he just loses interest for whatever reason. And then he's not going to want to keep doing that. Now it's really work, you know. So, yeah, you'll see, like you know, mods that were available and they like, oh yeah it was available like five years ago. I don't know what happened. It's like, well and the guy moved on. It wasn't his business.
1: So in regards to most parts, moving back towards especially these items that you're you're making on your end for sale. What what should someone do if there's something, say, out of stock, so to speak? Do they contact you? Is that I mean, what's the best course of action? No, well, you
3: should, you should never see it out of stock on our site unless I'm, unless it's a modifier for a color or something. So take something like a Star Post where there's like, I don't know, thirteen different colors. I may run out of red at some point and I'll put on the website red is out of stock and I try to have an ETA of when we think it's going to be back in. Otherwise, other products, if I'm out of stock, it's not on the site. I just I hate going to sites that have you know, every third thing is out of stock. It's kinda of like walking into a you know, into a Walmart and the shelves are half empty. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, if if I'm out of stock, I take it off the site. We have a we have another word for back order here at Pinball Life, and that word is mistake. <laughs> you know, it's like we told you we had it, but we don't. That's a mistake. So I mean, we really try to avoid those mistakes. So I really try to avoid back And I'm not saying it never happens because it does now and again. But percentage wise, it is insanely small. I try to fill every order. And if I can't, if I don't have the part, I pull it off the site. And I don't leave it up there as out of stock. And some people disagree with that because they want it there for reference. But I just think it makes the site look messy, so I take it down.
1: Okay. Uh, in terms of categorically, what would you say is the most popular item that gets ordered? Like for my part, I know I buy more rubber rings from you than anything because they wear out. But
3: Well, the product that probably stands out the most that I would say... Uh, actually, is building in sales over the years would be the Pen Gulp drink holders that we have. I mean, that's uh, you know, that's kind of like the perfect mod. It goes on every game.
1: Oh, that's oh, you didn't even think about it, but every location place around here in the Kansas City area has those on their pins that I you can know, think I of. I mean,
3: and you know, they've been they've been great sellers for it. It's a, for us. It's a great product. It's a commercial product. You know commercial machine stand up to commercial use uh it's you know a no-brainer in your house uh we've actually just re just retooled that whole thing and made it uh removable with with just by your hands so if you want to get into between your machines you can just pop it off and Mm. pop it back on so we've actually a friend of mine always says if you don't antiquate yourself someone will do it for you so we've actually got a new version of that that we're selling now. We sell the old version too where people want everything to be the same, but that's the product really for me that stands out as as something that has sold consistently and actually the more they get out there, the more we sell. The more people see them, the more people want them and want to buy them.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, I, they get used a lot every time I'm out to one of the barcades. It's, uh, they're very convenient.
3: And I would say for other things, I mean, mainly it's, it's consumables. I mean, it's the things that... That get replaced even in home use. You know, that's like something as you know silly as leg levelers. They go bad in home use. You know, they're down there on the floor, no matter what floor it's on. People get a new game. They like to put on nice, fresh leg levelers, you know. So, And then there's people who throw out their pinballs every year, whether they need to or not, which I can't talk about of it, but they do it. So of course, there's something like that that you're just selling, you know, tens of thousands of a year.
1: What would uh, let me? Because I've seen conflicting uh, statements on that. Let me let me ask you what what would your recommendation be in terms of pinball replacement?
3: Uh, replace them when they need to be replaced. It's common sense.
1: So just just check for pinball. Don't
3: replace them because it's January first. I don't understand that. Uh, it's not a battery that might leak sometime through the year. That kind of makes a little more sense to me. Uh, but a ball is either, you know, good or it isn't. and Most people also don't realize that the play field is way less smooth than the ball. So it's really the play field's fault. It's not really the ball's fault. Mm. Um, now, I'm not saying play your pinball machine with rusty balls or anything like that but i look at you know when i'm playing when a game i'm i'm somewhat aware of what the balls look like and if it looks like they're starting to get a little beat up i replace them but no i I, i've met people that replace the pinballs every three months in home use and that means you're getting what about you know 20 games and you replace the ball hey i'll sell them to you
1: you know, to, yeah, no, it's just it's and, you know going on the on pinball forums. I see the the people they say replace the balls every year, wax the table every month. it just they have well, a, tried, a system.
3: Tried, I'll tell you how operators, which I'm not going to say it's right, but it's kind of a funny story. I uh, years ago, there's a place called Ah Amusement. They're pretty big operators around here. I got to know one of the head guys over there at one point, and I was you know. Trying to sell him some pinballs, and I asked him like, oh, "Who do you get your pinballs from?" He goes, oh, "I don't know." I'm like, oh, I'm, "You know, I'd like to quote you." On. And he goes, "Look, so we've been in business since 1940. My dad started this company, so you know, we've been in business for 70 years. I think we've bought about 40 pinballs <laughs> in 70 years." He said you know when we replace a pinball? And I said, no, when? He goes, when we can't find it.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so there's there's one end of the spectrum, and the other end of the spectrum is like change it every three plays. So my mm. answer is somewhere in between. You know, find your happy medium. But I guarantee you there's lots of pinballs that get thrown away that are perfectly fine.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's in- It's interesting. Uh, speak, speaking of, I guess, interesting stories, I was wondering, obviously, aside from my questions here, which we, we can say no comment on, uh, what are the dumbest questions you've received from customers? Uh,
3: well, I've I had one guy ask me what the name of the ball was the machine used.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. So, <laughs> I, I hope he was new to the hobby. Uh,
3: and I had one guy call me who said, do you have a rubber kit for my game? And I said, I don't know. What game do you have? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> so the chances of success in that phone call yeah. were slight.
1: It's impossible to know for sure, I suppose. And
3: I had uh, a person, last one, who had called me and said, Wanted to know if we did repair, and I said, "No, we don't do repair. We, I can, you know, I can send you the name of a repair person, uh, but, but we don't actually do repair ourselves." And she said, uh, "Okay, well, give me the name of that repair person because I'm not going through that coin door and changing that light out myself."
1: Just a burnt bulb was her issue. A, a burnt I guess. bulb,
3: but she had no idea that you could take the glass
1: off. Right. Of oh, okay, yeah.
3: He was going to crawl inside the machine and do it.
1: Wow. Well, I guess if she was thin enough. Uh... i'd get my head stuck in one of those things but uh i i just have one final question not really related to pinball life but i was uh i was talking with uh don formerly of the pinball podcast and he is familiar with your the scorgasm master project and he wanted to follow up on that and so i wondered if maybe you could explain what that is and and then i guess give give an update
3: yeah sure um Oh, it's probably been close to three years ago now. Uh, Me and uh, Andrew Barney kind of started this thing. Andrew Barney of ABP ABP Enterprises. He winds coils for pinball machines. Uh, We've been buddies for as long as I've been in the hobby. So, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. And uh, we'd always wanted as a bucket list thing to make our own game, which a lot of people have. But I didn't want... Being that I'm in the parts business, I certainly don't want a conflict of interest. I'm not a pinball machine manufacturer. I have no interest in being a pinball machine manufacturer. So we thought, like, well, let's just do something, like, really crazy. Like, what? what's nobody making and nobody cares about? It's like, oh, it's like bagatelle machines, which, as far as I can tell, were not uh, even called bagatelle machines back in the day. They were called uh, pin games. And uh, so we started kind of looking around at this and looking at some different machines. And a friend of ours, uh, Yancey Blaylock, had just bought a bag of tell from none other than uh, than John Papaduke. And uh, we were playing it and having fun. It was great dollar games. And we started looking into that game. And it was like, oh, it was actually Harry Williams' second design ever um, before he even had William's. Uh, he was just, he was just designing stuff and selling it to companies. Okay. And so we learned this and we're like, oh yeah, cause it was a really cool layout. It had kind of neat, neat ball function, a couple coils that move the ball around in particular ways for different bonusing and scoring strategies. And so we were having a lot of fun. So we said like, well hey, I think we were drinking a few beers after our expo open house three years ago. So you know what? I'm gonna make it. Just for fun. I'm gonna make it. So we decided we'd do a run of 30. And I don't know where that number came from. We just said, uh, 30. I wish we had never had those beers, honestly. Because, <laughs> you know, we soon realized that Bagatelle machines, or pin games, as it were, they don't really have anything in common with pinball parts. I mean, everything was different. I mean, the ball size is different, so everything's different. And we realized the machine really hadn't been designed that well mechanically. We needed to redesign it um, to get it to work really reliably. Um Which took a lot of work, and we basically what we would do there was basically about seven of us, seven or eight of us, and we all had our own full time gigs, and after work a couple times a week, we would get together and we'd brainstorm on this and we'd work on getting the prototypes made and you know just work on all the you would be surprised it seems to like such a simple thing, but it was like actually it's very complicated i mean you know we had to get the originals were obviously weren't even they were just powered with a battery, but this, you know, had our own, we were adding music, we were adding call-out sounds, and so we got, you know, for the music, actually, we got Scott Denisi involved, who now is doing Total Nuclear Annihilation and doing all the music for that, too, but the first game he did music for was actually Scorgasm, so we just worked on it, and I don't know, by six months later, we had a few games done, and we took them up to MGC and uh, sold them there, and... Then just by word of mouth, I'd sell one here, I'd sell one here, I'd sell one here. Distributor in Europe heard about it and took a few. I never actually did have it for sale anywhere ever. It was never advertised on our website. There was no place you could go find it. If you look now, you try to buy one, you can't. People think that they don't. They they're gone. I actually have. I think four of them, but I don't know. I guess I like walking by them and owning them because I just, I guess they'd be for sale if somebody offered me enough money. But basically I got down to about four left and the collector side of me kicked in and I was like, I'm keeping these. So that's what happened. Sort of did a full cycle on it and we never, and I lost money, not a lot, but a little. And all the work was free. All the guys, actually we do have a little work left. Everybody that helped, was going to get a free machine, okay, at the end. right? Well, everybody is so burnt out on working on
1: it.
3: <laughs> we have the machines for us, and that'd be mine that I'm actually going to, the number one machine that was going to be mine, not one of the ones that's boxed. We're so burnt out on it. We have about 40 to 60 total man hours left on this to finish our own machines for us. Right. And nobody wants to do it. No.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: So eventually we're going to, you know, get that done and close the books officially. But it was really just, it turned out really well. I mean, we got John uh, Yowse did the art for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it I mean, it, it turned out really, really nice. I mean, we, you know, we, it's it engineered well, plays well, it's fun. It's, you know, it's really, really an old style of game, but it's we brought a bunch of modern components to it. When we made it, I'm super proud of it. Although I never had any illusions that you know we were going to actually go into manufacture of this, because well, first of all, I didn't want manufacturing full machines is not fun. I don't know how so many people in this world just walk by a pinball machine and think it's going to be easy to make and then start a company because it's very difficult. I
1: was going to say I have seen on the on the site for it. I'll I'll show note link this as well. Uh, where you went open source with a lot of the documentation, people can three D yeah. uh, print oh, their yeah. replacement parts. So, that... oh,
3: and we put a little blog up, just sort of the kind of journey that we went through to to get it to MGC. I think the blog is still up. Man, I haven't even checked.
1: Yeah, uh, at least uh, day one pinball dot com has information all about yeah, it.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's all still there. Um, yeah, it's uh, very open source. You can change all the music in it if you want whatever you want to do.
1: And and throw out Scott's music? Uh, I don't know. You might get judged uh. for that. <laughs> just saying. At
3: this point, back, back then, nobody cared. But I guess oh, they, they they'll now. care
1: now. They'll care now. <laughs> <laughs> just, just let them 3D print a good subwoofer for it, and it'll be good.
3: The sound on it is incredible. The, the, the machine was small enough that it kind of made its own little speaker box. I mean... We all of us were kind of blown away when we put just a normal eight-inch speaker in that thing. How it had two little tweeter speakers as well up on a little mini head that we made. Um, we were just blown away how how good it sounds. I mean, that was one of the big surprises. That wasn't even really a major thing for us. Like, oh, we got to make this thing sound great, but like it ended up just sounding awesome. Cool. And of course, you know Scott's you know original material is good, so that doesn't hurt either. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, that's all the questions I had for you, Terry. I Unless right. you have anything for me, I'll I'll leave you to it. I'm
3: all good. Thanks for crawling.
1: All right. Thanks for talking to me. Well, and my thanks again to Terry for participating in the interview and telling us about pinball life. But I appreciate it. So now we move to the sad topic on pinball. Uh, this was breaking news as of yesterday. Don actually was the first I'd heard it from, but... It turns out that a search warrant was issued, and John Trudeau, a famed pinball designer currently employed by Stern Pinball, who worked on games such as Ghostbusters, Judge Dredd, Silver Slugger, and Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, he was arrested on a couple of charges for child pornography. So uh, I'll have a link to a news article that summarizes that sort of the issuing of the search warrant and, and the arrest in the show notes. Uh, note that this has not gone to trial yet this is not a conviction this is an arrest and and a, a warrant that was served so that you know it's still it's all alleged but obviously the you know it's it's quite an issue and it's pr- one i'm not aware of ever really coming up in the with the pinball community before i'd say just to start off with obviously the number one issue is if the allegations are true would be justice for the victims But since we're a hobbyist podcast, we're going to we're going to focus in on the impact that this might have on the hobby to which I'm going to say, I think there's two primary issues. One will be whether or not this has any impact on Stern Pinball and the release of the next game that uh, Trudeau was working on Ghostbusters with his latest pin. So I think the ongoing assumption is either the next pin to follow Star Wars or the one just after that should be a Trudeau pin. And I think the secondary topic that we can talk about is whether or not these allegations, and if it does actually end up going into conviction, will have an impact on the popularity, availability, pricing of the games that he is a designer on from the past. So the floor is open. I'm trying well, to know where to was, start.
0: Yeah, so, it, this is a really tough start. This is a tough one to hit.
2: At first, I thought it was a joke because I hadn't heard of the, the website that I saw the link on. So, I started researching the website, and it seems to be a legit uh, site. And then there was a, a press release from the Sheriff's Department, I believe. I kind of followed yeah,
1: it up. I, I saw that on their the, the Sheriff's or the Police Department's Facebook page had a just very deta- detailed, legalese-style explanation of the warrant issuance and, and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. yeah it, uh, to my knowledge, there's no there's no suspicion at this point that the arrest isn't legitimate and that this wasn't actually uh, some sort of bust.
2: Yeah, I don't think I think with these type of cases, they don't just you know post stuff willy nilly they, unless they have a pretty solid arrest. Uh, yeah, you want it to not be true. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt and whatnot, but. In the end, the police found something and there are victims on that material and hopefully they can, hopefully they can yeah, find justice. Like you said, that would be the main concern. Um, As far as how it affects the hobby, uh, I saw a lot of people putting the games up for sale. Um, I think there, in my opinion, there's some separation between the art and the artist and the dozens of people that worked on the games. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, people aren't burning their Ferris Bueller DVDs when Jeffrey Jones was arrested or Roman Polanski, you know, people still support his films. I'm not trying to justify it at all, but uh, it's not just a one man sin that was committed um, to damage these, these items. I think it's, I think it's
0: possible to separate, something from the creator. I mean, case in point, I love the book Ender's Game, but the author is kind of a monster in in uh, his views on people and stuff. But I still think it's one of the... It's still a great book. I can, I can separate those two items. And I think this might be a situation where it ends up with some people can do that and some people can't. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I could see it uh, splitting a variety of ways. Uh, obviously, there is a pin side thread that's ongoing. I'm not caught up with it. Uh, some people are are expressing what uh, you and you, Tony and Dawn are, are saying about separating the the art from the artist, the machine from the artist. Uh, it's in some ways it's a little more, I suppose, complicated or or easier, I guess, depending how you think of it. In the case of a pinball machine, because these are collaborative projects involving a multitude of people. Versus, say, a musician who could probably claim almost sole credit for a created piece, depending, of course. Uh, But uh, on the flip side, there are some that are just like they just it makes them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We're saying they're uncomfortable to play their Ghostbusters or the Creature of the Black Lagoon just with the allegations out there. And so obviously that's going to be a challenge for folks, I think, longer term. I don't think if people are imagining that there's going to be a huge Trudeau design backlash and that prices are going to tumble on his games because so many people are going to try and dump them. I don't think you're going to see anything like that. I think there may be a short term blip here where some people who are really uncomfortable, who don't want anything associated with someone who might be uh, associated with child pornography, be it production, distribution, I don't know what exactly the allegations are other than possession at this point. But they just don't want anything to do with that. They'll probably try and unload. I don't think they're going to have to cut their prices to to get rid of those machines. I think there are enough people that will be able to distinguish and say, no, I don't think of it. A lot of people don't even think necessarily, oh, Creature, yeah, that's that great Trudeau game. They'll probably just think, that's that's an awesome Williams game I love. And they'll just buy it without a second thought. So I don't think it's going to have a big impact on the used side of things. Now, what happens with him and Stern... I don't know. I mean, at the very least I can imagine the newly hired Zach Sharp might have to market the Trudeau pen in a very different way than perhaps they planned to.
2: Well, if he's got something in the can, I could see them making a small change to it. Uh, sort of like Steve Ritchie. I know Steve Ritchie and George Gomez went in and made little changes to Papa games or whatever. Um, they make enough tweaks to say, "Oh, it's collaborative effort and it's not his design at this point. Even, uh, CSI now it's known as like a Pat Lawler design, but it was changed so many times I could see them stern just, Oh no, the game's been redesigned. Um, his project is no longer being used. And as far as Ghostbusters, I'm guessing they'll just keep rolling with it. As far as production, I don't see them stopping. Uh, Yeah. I'm curious to see what, if they'll make a press release or what they'll say about the whole issue.
1: Yeah. I, I'm going to guess they're going to stay silent at least until, uh, Conviction time rolls around. I mean, yeah. if, if he, uh, if if the case is dismissed, or on honestly, if if it's not going to be dismissed, I wouldn't be wholly surprised if there's a plea, and based off of whatever those penalties that are agreed to, Stern may be able to say, okay, that's it doesn't look bad enough that we can still keep him. Or you know maybe if if anything's if it's anything at all, given that the, the category is child pornography, they might just have to cut ties and say we we gotta get rid of them uh just because the the hobby's too niche, too many people know the designers, and we would never have an easy time marketing the a design from someone like that, whereas ghostbusters I think we're past the marketing stage, obviously it's in production and it will still be in production for probably at least the next two and a half years, but it's you know. That, that the ship's kind of sailed on that one. They've already done all the marketing. Now all the marketing Star Wars. So, but you, you bring up a good point, Don. About the nice thing for Stern at this current juncture is we don't know what the next pin Trudeau was working on is. The rumor mill is he had Iron Maiden, but the rumor mill also is is that he had Guardians of the Galaxy too. And so, even if those two themes are true, we don't know if. I mean everyone's thinking Trudeau would be next because we just got R- Richie and we had Borg before that but we don't know when Elwin's fallen into the the lineup of the four developer cycle that they're using assuming that you know Gomez and his Batman 66 was just a one off uh so you know people won't really know for sure especially if they did do some tweaks and say okay well it's it's a Borg design now Iron Mains a Borg game and we who follow the hobby might go and say okay Borg just had Aerosmith we know he didn't put this game out by himself but it'll still be his name as lead designer on it so to speak or they could do if it, if it was too much was out there or they it was too risky they pull an American pinball and say okay well we're still going to do a Houdini theme but you know yeah. J pops out Balser's in everything's redesigned
2: yeah I could see that happening and uh, you said something about maybe Stern not having enough evidence to get rid of him. I, I would guess unless he's totally one hundred percent cleared, he, he's gone. I
0: he's can't right. he, he is completely cleared. He might be gone just for because of the image issue, the stigma. Yeah, yeah.
1: May, I, maybe. I, I mean, let me let me clarify a little bit in the sense that I imagine unless the charges are dismissed, Stern would end up getting rid of him because of the fact that it's child pornography. Right. The reason I'm hedging is that, you know, he might get a plea bargain offer where he doesn't have to do jail time. For example, if it's not, if he's not, because I, I don't know the details of the, of the distribution. If they don't think he's producing though, and isn't directly victimizing, they might be more lenient. I, I don't know how these cases. Hey, are. I don't know. So, because my guess is if they served a warrant, the suspicion is not that he downloaded a couple of illicit images, but rather that he'd probably be fairly deep involved in some sort of distribution system. Uh, I yeah, I don't know. Said if, two counts of possession. I don't know right, what extent right. that means. Uh, and and from as near as I as near as I could understand, that it could be as specific as saying. I mean, some people see that and they go, "Oh, does that mean he had two underage images?" It could mean that there were two different computers with material on it. Yeah, example. I would guess
2: if you're part of a sting, it doesn't mean you don't just have one image
1: right. somewhere. Right. And so uh, from what I had read uh, with what little research I was able to do bef- before we went to air on it, a lot of times the charges will be categorical and they don't tend to do it image by image or not at least on the initial charging, but if they need to start, they might try and use that as a as a plea bargain tool. And if there's the insistence of going to trial, then they might say, OK, we're going to do account for every single image now, To because gener- a lot of times they just use enough that would be able to get them life. And then they don't need to worry about the rest of it. They'll have the stuff where they have the really solid evidence chain, because uh, from what I could find out a lot of times on the investigations, they try very, very hard not only to show the possession, which in a way is the easy part, once you've gotten the warrant and actually have the computer, but to show that this person meant to download this—they're not out to try and get people who went to uh, a standard adult pornography site, which inadvertently put up a seventeen-year-old model who lied about their age. That's not what this is about.
2: No, that'd be on the site, right?
1: Right, it'd be—I'd be on the site. That's not the—you know. This is a case, in, and from what I could tell, in most of the child pornography cases, it's either the, it's a sting where they pretend that they are a peddler and people go to them and you're actually trying to make the arrangement with the police directly, like a drug buy. Uh, or they are able to gain access onto like a peer-to-peer system where there are known uh, child pornography distribution. They know which files have the child pornography and they're able to track it. They track the i p s and then they get enough evidence to show well, did they have an open wi fi no uh, was there anyone else using the computers? no, you know th- do we have enough now for the warrant, and they go in with a warrant and then, oh, you saved copies uh this doesn't look good, especially if it's a few thousand i mean yeah, you know, this is a, <laughs> that's the thing i mean i am getting kinda grossed out, but I don't yeah. know
2: like it's hard yeah. to even think about,
1: yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's, so. It's it's so strange because this black hole. You know. Yeah. These, these, uh, because these designers are by a lot of people are often idolized. I mean, isn't J- Judge Dredd We're inside is your of our hobby? Body. Yeah. It's yeah, our yeah. hobby. Uh, and we talk to a lot of these people. So, I mean, you go to a show and you can, you could meet John. You see Steve Ritchie at Texas Pinball Festival. You see, you see almost all of them except J pop around at various places. Yeah. So, the, the
2: blip is going to be in our, our hobby for sure. I don't think, you know, you put, you put creature up on Craigslist, somebody who just remembers the game won't have a problem buying it, but you know, the pinball collectors might have a second, at
1: least for a little while might have a second thought about it or. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it depends on the collector. I mean, for example, there are, there are the people we play with locally at the competitive level who are very good competitive players. Many of which have at least a few machines, a lot of them aren't really familiar with the designers. So when I've That's had this with them, I, I've found, I've noticed to be like, I was talking to one of our, one of our better players uh, last year and we were playing world poker tour. And I said, yeah, I think it's a really different layout for Steve Ritchie. And he's like, this is a Steve Ritchie design. Really? I thought he always just did stuff that was like Star Trek. It's like, no, it's a Steve Ritchie. I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but yeah, it's just, yeah. Sometimes they don't know. and And sometimes they do. Uh yeah, you know, because the closest thing we have to a legendary designer scandal before this was obviously J pop, but that was financial. That was a financial bad business dealing. And so and yeah, a, we,
2: we didn't see his games tumble in price, his old no. his old games, but definitely people are not interested in whatever he's doing from here on out. It might be kind of a similar
1: thing. By and large, by and large, that's right. Though I still, on occasion, I tell you, pinside is a dark place, and I see people still hoping that somehow J-pop can be rehabilitated and make them some new magic-themed game. And I'm just I'd love for that to
2: be true, but he he just destroyed too many lives. Basically,
1: yeah i i don't I don't see I don't see how you give him a chance to come back from that. No, because he didn't try. He didn't try and make it right.
2: So he wants to crank stuff out for free by all means, but. Nobody's giving him money and nobody's buying his product again.
1: Okay. Well, that was dark. It's very unfortunate for the hobby, but we'll, we'll, and we'll, we'll keep our eyes on, you know, what happens with the court casing and stuff and continue to report on that. But it does not look good for Mr. Trudeau. All right. Uh, One more pinball segment. This one will be more uh, theoretical and thus happier than our prior topic, which was only tangentially related to pinball. And that is a follow-up on our segment from our last episode, episode 41, which was, is pinball too expensive? I guess before I go into it, Don, is pinball too expensive? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Don. Okay. Uh, We had an email uh, from Anthony S., and I'm going to read most of his email because it raises a couple of points that I think are going to be worth addressing. Uh, It's going to be carved up by two manufacturers that we didn't touch on in that segment. One of which I don't think other than maybe in the most passing of ways have we ever mentioned on this show specifically. But here's what the email said. Hi, Dennis. I found myself yelling at my Bluetooth speaker during your latest episode as you discussed the question, is pinball too expensive? Because you almost, but not quite, touched on something that I have been thinking about for a while. You finished the discussion by saying you felt that pinball prices are unlikely to decrease anytime soon, and that the only way that prices would fall is if one of the already established manufacturers expanded their operations to offer a less complex and cheaper line of machines. However, I think we're about to see a major shift in the industry as products from two new companies come to the market. Although these two companies will mount the first significant challenge to Stern's low-cost pro model, they will do this in completely different ways. The first of these companies is HomePin. HomePin, as you know, is a new pinball manufacturer based in China and run by Australian Mike Kalinowski, an engineer who has very strong convictions with regards to pinball. He has set out to make high-quality traditional pinball machines based on serviceable embedded control systems. He believes that pinball gameplay should be based on physical, mechanical action instead of LCD displays. HomePin is well-positioned to compete with Stern at the lower-priced end of the pinball market because of a number of factors. Number one... They have spent the last three years preparing and tooling up to manufacture pinball parts and make almost everything required to build a pinball machine in-house, from plastic posts to circuit boards and pinball cabinets. They do this to a far greater degree than even a well-established company like Stern. Two. Located in the electronics and manufacturing hub of Shenzhen, they have low labor and operating costs. They also have ready access to a range of low-cost parts manufacturers and suppliers for any generic items like screws and capacitors, which they do not make themselves. Three, they have a steady income stream from their already established production of pinball boards and arcade machines and are therefore more financially secure than some other boutique manufacturers. These factors will allow Homepin to offer pinball machines at prices lower than Stern's Pro model, with their first game set to sell for around five thousand dollars US. Homepin, however, have up until now mostly flown under the radar. This is because Mike's somewhat prickly character has meant that he has received a less than warm welcome on pinside, and also because the theme of their first game is relatively unknown outside of the United Kingdom and Australia. They are currently building two prototype machines, which will be revealed at a pinball show in Australia in early October. The second company I believe is poised to shake up pinball prices is the Texas-based pinball company Multimorphic, headed up by Jerry Stellenberg. This company is at the opposite end of the spectrum to the uber-traditional home pin, but has also been largely ignored by the pinball community. In Multimorphic's case, it seems that this is primarily because their innovative approach is too extreme for many traditional pinball enthusiasts. This company has created a unique pinball platform which allows users to play a theoretically infinite number of different pinball layouts and games on the one physical machine. This means that once a customer has invested at the initial platform price, uh, at the initial platform at a price at around the cost of a Stern LE or Jersey Jack machine, additional games will be significantly cheaper than anything else available at the moment. New games are expected to cost between $1,500 and $3,500 US. Like HomePen, Multimorphic has an established revenue stream. They sell pinball control systems for custom pinball machine developers and should have received a boost recently because of the success of the spooky pinball game Total Nuclear Annihilation, which uses Multimorphic's P-Rock control boards. Multimorphic's P3 machines are already shipping and should be ramping up production over the coming months. Well, it remains to be seen whether these two companies can gain a foothold in the market. They represent two very different new options at the lower end, which up until now has been solely occupied by Stern's pro model. Exciting times indeed. Regards, Anthony. So very long, but I I wanted to get into that because I I don't think we've ever, other than I noted in passing, talked about HomePen. So I guess let's go ahead and, and start off with that and this argument that HomePen is in a decent position. That seems to be Anthony's, you know, that's his argument. That home pen is in a decent position to compete against Stern at the cheap pro price point.
0: I always forget about home pen. Uh, People bring it up, people mention it, and all I ever remember is that there is a Chinese manufacturer building up to pinball. Um, I think if anybody's got a chance to do it, they, they probably do. They're in the right place. They've got the right Um, the, the, the short, uh, well, what's the word I'm looking for? The short line from the, for parts and everything and everything's low cost. It could be built cheaper, but I don't know until it's all going to be based upon the game. And I think that's going to be the real answer is it's got to be a game that sells big enough that people are going to remember them and pick it up and allow there to be a game two and then a game three.
2: Yeah. The theme. Thunderbirds is not going to fly over here, so the gameplay has to be rock solid. If it plays really well, maybe they'll get some traction, and people will be interested in the next game. But I don't see... If people aren't popping on Jetsons, people aren't going to pop on Thunderbirds. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've, I've got a couple of friends from the UK. They love Thunderbirds. They grew up with that stuff. But this is... Yeah, for us over here, I remember it as a campy thing that I think I saw something once or twice. I think all of my memories of it come from stuff referencing it because I don't think I've ever actually seen a full episode. It's just not in the
2: American lexicon. The U.K. market's way smaller for pinball. I mean, America's kind of the big fish, and then you got Australia is probably up there too, and then Europe, and if it's just the U.K., might be kind of a slow-seller in That area, besides the UK, I mean, in Europe, besides the UK, but I do like the idea. If he can keep the price low, uh, the price of Thunderbirds is five thousand four hundred uh, thirty two dollars and ten cents, I think five four three two one.
1: Oh, how clever!
2: Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, that's not a bad price, that's a little bit more than a Stern uh, pro, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, is that is that with shipping on the Thunderbird? I'm assuming, I doubt not. it. Yeah, and, I doubt it. Yeah, Star Wars. I think je- most distributors at this point that I've been hearing are around fifty three hundred to your door. Yeah, so so sort of fifty two to fifty four hundred. Uh, those numbers vary based off of which game, because I think Star Wars is going for about a hundred bucks more than Aerosmith is. Uh, so it, yeah, it's still higher. Um, and and is
2: that price is that price fueling is that price low because it's their first game? Kind of like Wizard of Oz started at sixty five hundred? Or is it high because it's their first game and they have to build a factory? We don't know what the pricing on the second game would be. If you can keep it sub five thousand, that puts them in a good spot. I think Spooky being sub six thousand is kind of one of their uh, one of their banners and one of the reasons people are interested in their games because they go, oh, it's n- it's not going to go over six thousand bucks, and that's cheap somehow for a pinball machine. And Spooky does a lot of stuff in house too, so I'm not getting screws or anything but doing their their playfield art and uh, cabinets and whatnot that's not a something to sneeze at.
1: Yeah, I I think it, it depends on on a number of things. Uh, that what you what you Don and Tony above talked about the the theme of the first game is is not just not it's not the right choice if you want to target America. My sense of Australia is there may be actual a uh, higher per capita level of pinball collectors like how many pinball collectors per thousand in population. They may actually have a higher per capita level, but they have less total numbers overall because they have such a smaller population. So it's I get it because he's an Australian manufacturer based in China, that he would want to do something that would appeal broadly to Australia. But I I do wonder about the numbers if this is going to be... I mean, it really comes down to future themes. In, In an ideal world, I would have said... You know, do Thunderbirds are go for your UK and Australia market and then go and work out a deal with Trey Parker and do, th- and yeah. do Team America for the US because it's the, it's the art style. I mean, that's what I know Thunderbirds from is when Team America was coming out, people are like, oh, it looks like that sh- old show Thunderbirds. It's like, I don't know what Thunderbirds is. I've seen some clips. I don't even think I've ever seen an episode, but Yeah, I could see the argument that they might be well-positioned, though, to compete on pricing. I think that part's very true. The fact that they're doing the manufacturing is – the obvious argument there is Chinese labor is cheaper than American labor would be or Australian labor or European labor. So you could get cost savings on the manufacturing side. But I think the big question, setting aside the theme issue that we have with Thunderbirds for a broad market penetration, would be – how many machines can Homepin produce in a month? I have no idea. Uh, the quality concerns. Some people are just—they're just, just going to stereotype by default that China is going to have an inferior product. There's no practical reason to think that that's going to be the case. Uh, there are plenty of things manufactured in China with excellent quality. And so that's going to come down mostly to Mike's choices in terms of his quality of parts and then also the training of his workforce which I know has to be a hurdle because they've never built pinball machines before. But that's a hurdle that almost all the manufacturers have had to face and some of which have tripped over that hurdle.
2: Did you guys see the flyer that came out this week for Thunderbirds?
1: I did, yes.
2: It's kind of I did not. It. It's a picture of the cabinet and then the flip side is just a list of really basic Pinball bullet points, like real pinball action, real mechanical action—that kind of thing <laughs> doesn't really. I don't know why they made real it out pinball were, action. Yeah, if they're unveiling the game in six weeks, I don't know why they put the
1: flyer out now. But
2: hmm. yeah, I don't know.
1: Uh, Mike had had played really close to the vest. I feel on Thunderbirds. I've actually yeah. thought about contacting him, but I've always assumed he'd be more comfortable going on an Australian podcast when he's ready to to do a discussion about about the game itself. And I do like that he hasn't fallen into that highway pinball trap of, or Dutch pinball trap where they just started announcing stuff. And then there was delay after delay after delay. And that's just Mm -hmm. plagued so many of the boutiques It's honestly, besides spooky, it's plagued pretty much all of them. And I respect that. So, yeah, I, yeah, I respect that as well. Uh, so I guess in terms of Anthony S's, uh, Query or or supposition, I would say yes. I think Homepin could be in an excellent position to compete with Stern on price. Uh, for me, it's a question of output volume, and secondarily, it's going to be about what themes they go with. I I get that a lot of collectors they just go gaga over winning unlicensed themes, but you know, dialed in isn't good because it's an unlicensed theme. It's good because it plays good, but it would undoubtedly sell better if it was licensed to something. Yes. So I just—it's not—it's just not the move to make. This obviously shows that Homepin is is interested in licenses. They just aren't so far showing they're interested in American licenses.
2: But well, and yeah. even then, uh, Multimorphic, their Lexi Lightspeed—I'm more interested in that theme than Thunderbirds. I guess yeah. because it's something new and it looks cool.
1: And I've actually had a chance to to try it. I mean, not yeah, the, not the latest fun. iteration, but so let, let's transition over to, to the multimorphic argument about multimorphic competing with the with the lower price point, because I'm more skeptical of this claim personally, even though I think the multimorphic platform is really interesting. I don't I don't view it in the same way that Anthony's uh viewed it in his submission. But I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I think the
2: price makes sense when you get into like game three or so, cause they're $10,000. That's the price of two stern pros right there for just one game. And then you add on a second game, you're up to let's say 12, 12, 12,000. So you're still kind of up there. Once you get into game three, game four, if they are things you're interested in, then it starts making more sense. And I think they're pretty open with letting people program their own stuff. So I could see if people want to homebrew and, uh, kind of get one and then build build their own games and maybe license some of those then maybe we could see a rush of several different designs in a couple years but ten thousand bucks still a big buy-in it's kind of like video game designers isn't aren't like dev kits like ten thousand bucks or more yeah
1: i've I've heard all sorts of things about how, how the dev kit things work uh, yeah I, I don't even know if they always have to buy them and if sometimes the 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 manufacturer, like a console manufacturer, might go to some of the big ones and say, We want you on our platform.
2: Big ones, sure.
1: Because, yeah.
2: I'm talking like a homebrew guy buys a dev kit to, he still has to make something and then sell it down the line for it to, you know, be worth spending that money. This might be the same kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see it. it, It's a, I like the, I like the system well enough, but, uh, 10,000 just for one game and a couple other things. It's not nearly as huge. Uh, it's not a big savings until you're, like you said, you're getting game three, game four thrown in. And then it starts becoming something realistic. And then it comes to how many, how many different bits of exchangeable hardware need to be picked up for, to make the adjustments. Cause I know they've got the modular, uh, uh, sections you can change out to get different playing so it's just a question of how much of that how much does that cost how much will new ones cost how much will new games cost
1: right it looks like I, you
2: can fit oh sorry
1: no no I, I was gonna say the in in anthony's email i think that's why he listed the price range of the 1500 to 3000 i think the 3000 is when you're assumed to need a new module and 1500 would be more if some existing module would already work and it's just a different set of rules and maybe different graphics and such Yeah. Software update.
2: Yeah. Uh, If I remember correctly, you can fit three units underneath your cabinet. Like it's, you know, a two by two kind of square box, each modular unit. And the system is really cool. Like they put a lot of thought into how you work on them. Um, I've seen it taken apart in person and it's really neat. I wish other companies would use a lot of their ideas or they would get the traction where they could compete with the other companies. I hope that does happen.
1: Yeah, I, I think that uh, Multimorphix module system just looked a lot better cleaner and, and more efficient from a storage perspective than Highway's proposed idea with their playfield swaps ever was. I, I know you could move the Highway pins around a lot. Uh, I mean, it didn't take a, let me rephrase that. You could take the playfield in um, and get it all hooked up for a new game pretty quick but mm-hmm. it's still, where do you hold the whole play field sort of thing? Oh, it can kind of go under the machine. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But uh, for me, the the issue with uh, P3 is, well, the first one that both of you touched on was that initial price barrier, the $10,000. I, I think for a lot of people, I mean, it, if you're a budget-minded consumer, that's a lot to ask for upfront, especially if they're in the habit of having to save up for a pin. And so, I mean, I'm going to use me as an example because I know exactly how my purchasing behavior works. I've only ever bought one new inbox game. I bought Star Trek in 2015. And how I justified being able to afford that was I had not purchased any pinball machines since 2012. So if I were to go about looking at the P3 and saying, I really like it, I really want it, to justify the price point that getting into it is, I'd have to... I would have to wait six years without buying any pinballs. And uh, that's a pretty long hold. And while I have the discipline to do that, uh, I'm not sure if the reward really is worth such long-term uh, frugality when I could buy used games. So so uh, now I'm just one person, but it's an example of you need to still come up with the $10,000. Uh, another issue that Highway kind of faced as well, but it's the lineup issue. Where some people, and again, it depends on the collector. I love the idea of P3, especially in small collection areas. I like the idea that you could have a game and change that game out and not have to move it around and stuff, but there are others who want that. They want a lineup. They don't want to have to swap anything to go from Lexi Lightspeed to Canon Lagoon. They want to take a, one step to the right and then play it. And, Obviously, if you're, if that's your obsession, this is going to be a very uh, pricey proposition. But again, that comes down to individualized behavior because there's clearly a way around that. But if you wanted multiple P3 games, it's $10,000 each time. And then the, the, for me, the final thing though, that's more of a, that's a, that's a minor. That has to do with people's personality. But I think the bigger issue is the resale factor. If I buy, say, a, uh Aerosmith, and I don't like it, I can sell it. If I buy a module for the P3, I can only sell it to someone else who already owns a P3, and that's really limiting. So people who are used to buying games and then selling games to fund more game purchases can run into a problem if they're investing into the P3 architecture because that currently that market is really, really small. Yeah, your game maybe only costs $1,500 or $3,000, but $3,000 other than my Star Trek, I've never paid $3,000 for a pinball game ever. Everything has been less. And so if I buy it, I'm like, okay, well, I could probably sell it for $2,800, except I can only sell it to the 50 people with a P3. They have to already not own that and want it at the same time. So that that ability for people to feel like they can get uh, P3 items and then Use sell them to buy more p three items that that can become viable, but only once there's a certain amount of market penetration and that it's not there yet, and I don't know how quickly they'll be able to get there so that's why I don't think it I don't think it drives the price down on the against I don't think it forces st- stern to lower their pro pricing long story short
2: it's not a good idea to buy new inbox games to resell like if, if there's a new game you want, wait till somebody else opens the box. Like I wouldn't buy them as something you're gonna flip. So if you're buying modules, it's gonna all go as one kit. I wouldn't. I wouldn't drop three grand on a kit to not be sure you're gonna keep it. Because you're right, it is a much smaller audience. But that's true of Sterns. Like, don't buy a new unboxed Stern if you are planning on selling it right away.
1: Right, right. Uh, but I've, the issue there is for for a lot of existing collectors, they're used to saying aside the new unboxed thing, they're used to being able to go, in, okay. Let's see. Oh, well, there's some a used pin. I've never tried it before, but eh, it's $2,500. I'll buy it. And if I don't like it, you know, I'll trade. I'll trade someone for yep. something else. But they won't be able to do that with the P3 stuff because they won't know anyone else with a P3 is what I think the the initial problem is. As more and more P3s get out there, that problem can go away. But I'm trying to imagine how many uh, multimorphic P3 units can be ex- expected to be sold in, say, the first year when we're yeah. looking at look at the buzz the huge buzz around total nuclear annihilation that thing has it's a great it's a, i don't have you ever played it don no i tried it at uh, as a white wood and i i really liked it. it was my favorite game of tpf this last year but the they're still haven't sold 200 of them well it's, ca- and you, it's doing well
2: uh you kind of hit on something i hadn't really thought about is that if you have let's say you, have, you own four games and you're tired of playing uh Walking Dead, so you move over and you're playing Aerosmith or whatever. If you only have room for the one game, you can't do that. And you're gonna have your favorite. You know, Metallica is your favorite, Aerosmith's not, so you're gonna sell Aerosmith and get something else. You can't, you can't do that with the, the P3. You can't sell just the one part, probably. That's not your favorite. Uh, once you have it in your collection. And if you're, you have your favorite installed all the time, you're not ever installing the other ones, you're, you would be kind of stuck with them. Especially if they get a, you know, if, oh well, Cannon Lagoon—that's everybody's least favorite. So then it's going to get that stigma, and then nobody wants it,
1: and that right, could be right. tricky. It, and if the and if the saturation were there, and you know, and because people pick which which games they want, they don't get them all from the get go, especially as right. more, more of the library filled out then that wouldn't be an issue and it could be like oh yeah well i got this or i traded this for okay i i'm tired of canon lagoon but but they've got the the training program for kids and i've got kids and i want them to learn the flip let's trade that's you know i could see that but you have to have a certain amount of volume otherwise the likelihood of those trades is going to be next to non-existent so that's just it's it's one of the cha- i mean I don't think Multimorphic's going into this thinking about trades and stuff, but I'm looking. I'm just trying to look at it from the angle of that this would be pressure on Stern to actually make them think that they'd have to, for competitive reasons, lower their pro pricing. No. I just don't see the penetration. HomePen would have a better likelihood of having that sort of penetration because they're playing by the traditional rules. Multimorphic's rewriting all the rules as they're going along, and that's what makes it so dynamic and interesting, more interesting to watch than any of the other manufacturers but I also think it doesn't position them to compete at the low price point in a way that actually provides competitive pressure for others to respond with price cuts of their own. No.
2: I think I'm going to bite my tongue a little, but uh, Stern's got the arrogance that they're not dropping their prices anytime soon, unless the whole market starts to bottom out.
0: I think that's the only thing that would bring prices back down from Stern, yeah. Or even any of the other major manufacturers. Is that if sales start dropping off, prices will start coming down. But as long as they're selling at this price point, nobody's going to, nobody's going to drop their prices just for, I mean, it's just like, Oh no, we're making more money. It's, I mean, it's just like when gas, gas go, when gas went up 50 cents and it only came down a dime and everyone was happy, even though, <laughs> even though the price per barrel of gas has dropped through the floor it only came down a dime i mean it's the same type of thing they're only going to lower it as much as they absolutely have to to keep people happy and if people are still buying them they're just going to leave it
1: yeah so we'll all just be broke sad
2: no there's still thousands and thousands of old machines
1: out that's there that's right. really fun that's right i know my
2: that's- first
0: machine's going to be an old machine there's no way i'm going to buy a new machine first and bought or new in box no.
1: No, nope. if you can get any it's almost almost always a better deal. I I say almost always because obviously there've been a very few cases of games that have actually gone up in price.
3: Right.
1: Uh and then there are some people that think that the game they bought for 4800 is worth 5000 because they stuck in every mod. Some of those mods are crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> you need nice shiny mods, happy mods, not yes, classless trash mods people we haven't done an episode on mods uh, because i have only ever bought one mod which i like so well oh, which one <laughs> i bought a little a little a measle mod for my star trek i bought the little vengeance explodey led thing it replaces a little flat plastic so it's yeah. low-key it's low-key it was inexpensive uh it looks nice it's not you know it's not garish so so yeah I like I just like them I like them nice and I like them affordable too
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> okay well you know what we're done with pinball so we got a ton of video game content holy cow you guys I blame both of you for this because I've only been playing one game lately and we've talked about it enough. So I think what we're going to kick off with is some major news that uh, Tony and I both saw, though Tony has definitely caught it before me, and that's regarding Mass Effect Andromeda and the uh, essential abandonment of single-player support. So Tony, you want to go ahead and kick us off with that one?
0: Yeah, I I caught this shortly after the announcement. um, And the announcement, we'll have a link to the announcement, but basically what it amounts to is uh, they've decided uh, that they are no longer going to support the single player. Uh, there's going to be another announcement about story-based Apex multiplayer missions uh, coming later. But they plan on continuing to tell the stories of the Andromeda Galaxy through their upcoming comics and novels, including the fate of the Quarian Arc. So basically their last update, which is update 1.10, is the final update of Mass Effect Andromeda. They're not planning any more patches. So, Mass Effect, I mean, the Mass Effect games have been huge. They they, they were massive. They were even super popular, even with how terribly the third one ended. And everyone was looking forward to this game, and here we are, not even five months after the release, and it's just dead. It's done. Uh, It's been completely abandoned, and it's just... It's one of those things that kind of surprises me, but at the same time, you think, oh, well, it is EA, so you have to expect EA is always going to do something horrible. Have have
1: either of you played Mass Effect Andromeda? I don't know if you have or haven't. Ten minutes. I've not
0: played Andromeda. Okay,
1: I haven't played it either. Tony, have you played any Mass Effects? Yes. Which ones? One. Don, which ones besides ten minutes of Andromeda? Uh,
2: I played one and two. I played a, a ton of two.
1: Okay. And I I played through 1 and 2 as well. Uh one time each for both of them. Okay. Uh yeah, Tony, uh yeah, it's it's odd. I mean, EA has a does have a habit of killing like online server support uh on their sports games and such that so it's sort of notorious for achievement hunters. Uh, for example, those online ones often become unavailable, so it always was lamented and EA was seen as sort of the worst offender of that. But it's sort of interesting having not played it, but Mass Effect Andromeda, which broadly, I would say, seem to have overall critically good reviews, but not good reviews compared to other Mass Effect games. Is that fair? It seems to be. They had
0: a kind of a rough launch. They had some visual issues and some sync issues on their launch, too. I
1: I do still, I I admit, I am one of those people who still calls it Mass Effect Clayface. I don't ever call it Andromeda. (laughs) Except professionally when we're recording. It's Mass Effect Clayface. <laughs>
2: that that stuff doesn't bother me. But that tanked the Assassin's Creed Unity, they couldn't get it out of the gate because those type of videos were popping up with the bad animations. Well, Shoot themselves the in
0: the makes, foot. Yeah, and that's one of those things that makes you wonder how much is that kind of video and that kind of review and like on the the streamers and the people on Twitch and YouTube that play stuff and how how big of an effect are they having on stuff like this at this point I mean I know there's a lot of games that I've only purchased because of watching somebody play it or watching somebody stream it that I would never have purchased otherwise and there's been games that were on my list that walked away after actually watching it being played and streamed
1: yeah, and it, it, this one was really interesting. I don't know how much of the impact w- was due to the sort of the the bloggers and uh, what what game changers or whatever they were calling them all at E three ridiculous titling. Uh, and I'd heard i that the developers indicated that they they were trying to blame EA that EA was insisting they had to use the Frostbite engine and the Frostbite engine wasn't designed for an RPG and that's why things look so bad is because it was an FPS engine and they just couldn't. They had to keep reprogramming it, and and I'm sure that's true to a degree uh, for this as well. But you know, it was a it was EA's one of EA's greatest franchises, and I that this doesn't this whole thing with the single player and the abandonment is in no way surprising. They'd already announced months ago that the Montreal studio was going to be put on support status rather than developing new games, which was. I think a major slap across the face to them, basically EA saying, you have failed us as developers. And then I believe it was announced a little while ago uh, before this announcement uh, regarding Andromeda that they were rolled into another studio entirely within the EA system. So, you know, it was like they were done. They were they were eliminated so that that EA is trying to kill off that that stigma, that stench of failure on this I imagine we won't see another Mass Effect game for at least three years. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if they go back and say it's Mass Effect 4 and they drop the whole, you know, maybe they wrap it up in their comics or whatever. But that they're done with the Andromeda Galaxy. This is is it. It, If they move on with Mass Effect, it's either going back to the original setting or something brand, brand new again.
2: I could see it getting rebooted like they did with Tomb Raider, you know, five years down the line. But I was looking at release dates and it was released March of twenty seventeen and that was a huge month for games. That's when the Switch came out, Zelda came out, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, near Automata. Like why? I don't understand why they stuck it in a Christmas time slot. This year spring has been crazy with all these huge releases. So they should have waited till June or something and then pushed it out. Were they maybe relying on the relying on the
0: just Mass Effect name to power it over some of the other things? Not that I think it Maybe. should beat Zelda, because it's bloody Zelda.
1: Yeah, I, m- I think, Tony, I lean more towards your theory that it, they probably thought it's Mass Effect. It will It will be the 800-pound gorilla. Horizon is a brand new uh, IP, so even though it was getting great reviews from all the footage people were seeing, it still didn't have a built-in fan base near yeah. uh, arguably a, a niche game. Uh Zelle, yeah, I don't have any excuse for Zell, but but let us bear in mind, EA is also the same publisher that decided, hey, we just put out Battlefield One, let's launch Titanfall Two two weeks later, and <laughs> then <true>. complain <laughs> that, and then complain that it had no freaking sales, and it's like, yeah, I still don't own Titanfall Two, and I thought that looked awesome, and I liked the first Titanfall, but I was busy playing Battlefield, I wasn't going to go buy two FPSs. Yep, Call of Duty right behind that. And they defended that. They still claimed last I heard with their shareholder meeting that that was a smart move. It's like, uh, no, it wasn't.
2: It's been 20 bucks for the past six months. And it was sold at full price for a very short time, a month or two. That's right. Same kind of with Mass Effect. Mass Effect was 20 bucks over a month ago. It's not that old. Nope. It's sad, but. Crazy. And go play Titanfall 2, man. What are you talking Go play I, it. it's it's six a, hours long. It's on, Go rent it, it or a, something. No,
0: no. I, I've heard it's really good. I've heard the single it's player is amazing. It, it, yeah, it, it,
1: it can live on my list. It'd be like a birthday or Christmas fodder thing. By then, it'll probably be five bucks. <laughs> well, be awesome. When it
2: hits five bucks, I'll pick it up for you. Play that. No, single, no.
1: Yeah, try, you just gotta trust. You just gotta trust that it'll eventually <laughs> fall into my lap. That's what happens okay. with these games. That's what happened with Titanfall uh, One. Is that it finally fell to like ten bucks, and I was just like, okay, I'll try it. And it's, Actually, wow, this is really competent. I bet Activision is furious they lost the Infinity Ward crew to f- their to making respawn. But you know, now now
0: maybe I just want I've got a feeling I just want to start going through and finding five dollar games and just gifting them to you. It's like here you have to play this now and tell me what you think. And then just yeah. start finding weird stuff, like God save the queen. How do you like visual novels? We could just we'll start getting you some visual novels. <sighs> drown dennis new segments. This, this
1: is no this is, this is a bad <laughs> segment we're not doing it um <laughs> instead let's let, let's have don i want you to talk to talk to us about a game i've never heard of it's called ironcast so apparently i've heard of it but that's only cuz i just heard of it
2: heard of it today uh it just came out on the switch but i actually i bought it on the ps4 this week it was down to like 5 bucks and it's been on pc for over 2 years
1: 5 dollars huh? uh, mm. yeah
2: it's a steampunk strategy game uh, where you have giant mechs that battle each other, but the the game mechanic is a match three. so that's how you earn that's how you power up your your weapons, you get ammo, that's how you uh, your cooling system is through match three, uh, your speed and defense, all that stuff is is you get three matches per turn basically and you have to juggle I don't know maybe 10 different items on your mech. While doing damage and trying to take down uh, your opponent. There's little stories. Like one level I went into was just a bartering segment. I was just talking to a guy about how many of this item can I trade for that item. And it took a couple steps to kind of get the best deal out of him. And that was the end of the level. Uh, I was really impressed with how cool it was. And it has a permadeath. Which is something kind of like Rogue Legacy or Neon Chrome. I'm not sure if you guys have tried those. But once you die, you're awarded... Uh, like tokens for how well you did and your character is gone. You have to start from the beginning, but you can use these tokens towards permanent upgrades. So I think I, I just died. Uh, my campaign just ended and I was able to use them to get more health. You start with more health than initially or more uh, defense, more shield power. Anyway, it's really cool. Um, it's not the best looking game, but it plays really well. There's a lot of thought in it and the, The system for learning how the game works is, you can always access the tutorial, which I love, in case you put down a game for a while and go back to it, and it's also, it does it slow enough that you kind of pick up each system. It would be overwhelming if they just threw you in, but it teaches you just a little bit each time, and you become really competent uh, in no time. Anyway, really fun, for five bucks. Yeah, it's a good game.
0: I've got it on Steam. And I thought from the day I got it on Steam, this needs to be on phones or something yes. portable. It is a perfect
2: <laughs> portable game.
0: So, so I, I searched
2: heard. it. Uh, sorry, I searched it on the App Store last night. I'm like, man, this has to be on mobile. I'd rather play this in bed or something.
0: Yeah, it, it, that's what I thought. Playing it on on Steam, I've got about 25 hours into it, and it is that's the whole time I played it. It's like, man, this just screams to be on tablet or computer or, or or phone or something so yeah. at least being on the switch that gives you the portability that it works that it looks like it should have
1: okay so you both you both would recommend then that if you own a switch it's probably a platform to buy it for
2: yeah on the switch it's either 15 bucks or 20 bucks it just came out last week i think but yeah i'd love to have it portably yeah
0: I think that I think portably would be the best way to play it. It's it's fun on the computer, but this really seems like a sit and break type game that I'd really like to be sitting and break and just knock out a couple rounds real quick. Yeah, uh, and I like the, the the match three games. I feel are really phone um, happy. They like your phone a lot. I think it was probably why there's so many of them, but I think it'd be better than, than using the mouse even.
1: Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Well, speaking of interesting, I know Tony has another underwater submarine update for us regarding cold waters. I hope Tony, that you've finally stopped destroying yourself with your own active sonar torpedoes. no. (laughs) <laughs> no. Oh, God, no. If, it, if Red October behaved like you sound like you're behaving, Tony, I, I don't think the Americans ever would have gotten a strategic ballistic missile submarine.
0: No, yeah. It, it the I wasn't originally going to talk about this until they released the uh, – they've got a new patch. It, it's still a beta patch. It hasn't gone fully live yet, but they're set up so you can play the beta patches, which brings a whole bunch of quality of life um, improvements. About giving you more control about so you can just set a depth instead of having to watch. And so if you get busy looking at something else, you don't plow into the bottom of the the bottom of the ocean because you weren't paying attention to how fast you were diving. You can actually set, okay, I want to be at 500 feet and it'll level out at 500 feet and you can set a course instead of having to steer yourself to the course. You can just set a course now. And they've gone through and fixed, uh, and the voices are all really good now, because the voicing before wasn't the greatest. Uh But yeah, with the difficulty moved up, it's still hard. I killed myself the other day, uh, twice. Um, Just bad luck. I, I was dodging away from the torpedoes they shot at me, and I successfully evaded them, and suddenly there was another torpedo coming at me, and it was one I'd shot at them that they'd successfully evaded. So... Nice. Uh, but, no, it's still being a good game. Uh, like I said at the start, up, um, I've cranked 30 hours into it. Uh, so far, my last played it yesterday. I played it last night for, like, two hours. And it's still being a ton of fun. And I am going to start rereading Red Oct- October because of it. <laughs> I haven't read that book since probably high school. But I've decided I'm gonna reread the Hunt for Red October.
1: Do you think rereading that will give you the inspiration to then immediately go up to elite difficulty?
0: No. No, not at all. Probably probably not, because Yeah, it's still hard. I I'm actually thinking about moving up to Elite just to try it, but I'm 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 afraid. I'm very, very afraid.
1: This is coming from a man who played XCOM on Iron Man at the highest difficulty settings. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. Why don't you believe in yourself? Don believes in you. Oh, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. Stream it. <laughs> One thing <laughs> only. Please. Dude,
0: we're just going to do it for charity and the stream's over. All right, guys. We did our best. It was 15 <laughs> minutes. Uh, thanks for the 47 cents we raised. <laughs>
1: wow. 47. That's. That's not bad. That's not a bad rate of return for us. If we were getting 47 cents every 15 minutes.
0: Yeah. I do need to keep I mean I I keep trying to set up trying I keep attempting to stream and I just keep having issues. I just think my home internet might not be quite good enough to make it with everything put together. It's either that or it's the fact that my uh I need a second machine. I think it could be that I'm that my one computer's not good enough to handle all the streaming stuff and running the games. It's, it's giving me some frame rate issues.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about streaming. I tried to do a set up a, a stream on pinball once, and it was the processor on my system. It just couldn't because it could handle it when it wasn't live, but if it was trying to actually render it all on the fly, nah, it was like twenty frames a second. Horrible! It's like playing a Sega Genesis game. <laughs> hey, easy. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Sorry, I I, grew, I did grow up on the Nintendo side, so Sonic can can just go and spin. Hey, actually, I heard that that Sonic Mania is actually getting good reviews. <laughs> and so I wasn't it's fine. Sonic, but I, I've been really hearing good. Re- really good things about it. Yeah, I didn't put on my list modern to Sonic
2: that too. Game? It plays just like the first couple games. Or it plays how you remember they should play. So I haven't played them side by side, but it plays like you remember. And it feels really good.
1: It's lovingly crafted. Sonic Mania. But you've been playing something else, Manic. Agents of Mayhem. Which, if I've heard of it, I want to think, isn't that in the Saints Row universe, Don?
2: It is, yeah. It took one of the alternate endings from the last Saints Row game and kind of turned it into its own game so the idea is instead of playing as gang members now you're playing as secret agents Hmm. and it is the same universe they redid the engine though so it feels totally different uh volition still made the game but it does not feel to me uh, like i'm a huge saints row fan it does not feel very saints Rowy, but it, it looks good um There's 12 agents, and you have three on your team at any time. After you unlock them all, you can choose whoever you want, and you can always switch between those three on the fly. And Everybody has different skills and whatnot and different attitudes. They recorded the entire game with all 12 characters. I think there's actually two DLC characters coming. So they spent a ton of time doing custom voice work because every mission can be spoken by fully voiced actors for 14 different characters or whatever. Um, I wish I'd spent a little more time on variety of the missions. The missions are super repetitive. And that's the one thing that's kind of made it a slog. Whereas even Saints Row 2, which came out probably close to 10 years ago, there was a ton of variety. That's one of the best things about the game is there's so much variety and you can do anything. And this one, you're kind of limited. So I'm hoping they'll they'll keep hatching like, quality of life improvements over time.
1: Tony, have you played any of the Saints Row games? I've or played this, or this Agents yeah,
0: of Mayhem. I haven't played Agents of Mayhem. It's on my wish list, but it it hasn't happened yet. But yeah, no, I've played Saints Row 2, 3, 4 and Get Out of Hell, plus pretty much all of the DLCs for at least 3 and 4.
1: Yeah, I played Saints Row 2 and I think I played all of the DLC with Saints Row 3. I did not play Saints Row 4, however.
2: This one feels most similar to Saints Row 4. 4 was like a superhero game. You're inside a computer, so you can do whatever you want. This one's a little bit like that. You have triple jumps. Driving is kind of crappy, and there's no map. There's no mini-map on the screen. Ooh. That's one thing that really feels different. Your character kind of moves too slow to uh, just walk everywhere. Like Saints Row 4, you could just fly wherever you wanted. Right. Get right. Out of I heard about that. This one you you kind of have to take a car, but it's real boring. You're just going in a straight line for the most part, and trying to hit turbo to make it make the time pass faster. I feel like they could add more variety to that. They could they could just add a lot of things. You can also cannot shoot while you're in a car, and the only way to damage other cars is to ram into them anyway. So it just well, feels like it's missing something. It is, yeah.
0: I think because the driving in Saints Three
2: was good. Yeah, all of them. They, it was the first game with crew control.
0: Yeah, and four could was drive, good. You just drive, shoot everybody. Yeah, and four was good. You just got to the point where it's like, well, why should I get a car when I can run so fast that there's a shockwave <laughs> around me that's throwing cars and bodies and stuff everywhere?
2: Right. And that was super fun, too. That
0: was that was awesome. <laughs> yeah.
2: I would occasionally and get run out of around hell the you had wings. Yeah.
1: No, I think guys. it was a, a simple series that wanted to just be a GTA clone originally.
2: Yeah, it's, it, I've had a lot more fun with the Saints Row games than with the GTA games, and I like both. But yeah, it just feels like it's missing something. Maybe Agents of Mayhem 2 will be what I want it to be, or maybe they'll just keep patching this until it's got a little more shine to it. It looks, it looks fine. It's just, there's no variety. You're kind of doing the same type of thing over and over,
1: which hmm. is okay. a bummer. Well, I did not. I'll have to look more into this one then, because I, I know I don't currently have it on any of my lists to watch for. Uh, one that I've thought about putting on my list that Tony now has, because I played the the second version in the series, was uh, Sniper Elite Four. So, Tony, did you finally get a chance to put some time into it?
0: Yeah, I've put about fifteen hours into Sniper Elite Four now, so uh, I'm well into the game. Uh, it's if you've played a Sniper Elite game, it's a decent Sniper Elite game. I mean, it's still about what Sniper Elite's about, watching slow-mo, massively graphic kill shots, and being Rambo in World War II. But it's been pretty good. It's been a lot of fun. And there's lots of little interesting things to set up. And i found myself kind of almost, almost kind of like you do in, like, like you would in a Hitman game, setting up stuff that, it's not necessarily the fastest way or even necessarily the best way to do something, but it's pro perhaps the most fun where I'll f- find myself sitting up on a, a spot and I will lay traps in front of me and then I will intentionally lure people into traps, but just messing around. So it's been pretty enjoyable. It's, um, I know there's some DLC for it that lets you go to Germany, but right now everything's in Italy, and I'm pretty certain the whole game is played through Italy, so there's a nice little different styles of architecture than you would see in a lot of the World War II games. Because normally, most of the World War II games, you're either on the Russian front or it's after Normandy, and you're going through France and Germany. and So this is kind of interesting because you are going through uh,
2: Italy and Sicily and all that.
1: Don, have you ever played any of the Sniper Elites?
2: Yeah, I just had to Google it because there was there's two of them, two sniper games. And I always get them mixed up. I have played the first two of these and a little bit of the third. I don't know what other series on. Is it Ghost Sniper or something? Yeah, there's yeah, I think it's yeah, Ghost think Sniper right. or Sniper Ghost or something like that. Yeah, that's where I get mixed up. This is the one where it does X rays when you hit somebody, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, this was the better of the two series.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those uh, Microsoft games with gold is how I got the second one. And I was actually, oh, okay. I was really surprised at how, because I, I normally, I don't like in multiplayer games, I hate the sniper class. I, part of it that as a console gamer, you don't have the precision with a mouse. Uh, so right. it's always just a little tedious to play and they don't usually make you, but I also just hate getting headshot. So I tend to have all this rage this anti-sniper rage. <laughs> and so it's sort of like, do I want to become that of which I hate? Uh, but I actually, yeah, I thought the it was just really, the x-ray stuff was cool. It was, you know, I did play it on a higher setting, so I did have to factor in my bullet drop and such. So it, it was challenging. So I really liked that aspect. I like the idea of sniper ghosts though. I'm just envisioning uh, this 50 Cal gun being held by Casper. Just floating. There. Hey, maybe, uh, you're onto something. Maybe with some aviator specs over yeah. his ghost face and his cigar.
2: <laughs> My problem is, I just want to do. I just want a headshot, guys. I just want to snipe. And I remember, I think it was three, where there was a lot of like traversing through the level before you get there. And I wasn't in any of that. I don't want to play a World War II third person game.
1: Two did have you walking around a lot. There was a lot of sneaking, more than I thought there would be. Uh,
0: yeah, I hate was the stealth. Same way. It's, it's got okay. a lot of. Stealth. Half stealth
1: game, I, half snipe game, sort of thing.
0: I've I, I I've had stealth. a couple levels where I got bored of it. You now I just went out, and it's just like whatever. I'll bring everybody to me, and we'll just see if I can plow through the oncoming wave of death. Don, you're gonna make Metal
1: Gear and Splinter Cell sad with those statements. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, not, not for me. Not for Hitman. Me. He's sad too now. Yeah, how often do you play Hitman? Is a stealth game. The last two I have been trying. <laughs> I, I've gotten better. I've gotten better about it.
2: I liked the uh, the mobile Hitman game.
1: Oh, Hitman, go? just on
2: a, uh, no, not go. Go is good. It, you're just I, I forget what it's called. Sniper, assassin, maybe or something. You're just oh no, it's Hitman Sniper. I think you're just sitting on a cliff or whatever, and you can look all over a hotel, and still all the different events will happen in different order depending on what you shoot first. So there's still mm. a, a huge puzzle element, but you're not moving around. You're just shooting stuff.
1: Oh, I huh. had not heard of that one.
2: No, it's, I, I think either. it's free to play now. It's worth checking out. It's one of their biggest uh, earning mobile games for. Is it Ubisoft? I think. Anyway, I think it's Ubisoft. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look at it. Up. Or no, it's
1: Square, isn't it? Well, uh, uh, it's Square. It's all weird because because Square. Yeah, Square bought got them when they acquired Edus, I think, and then they just recently uh, spun off. That the company okay. uh, Square didn't didn't want him anymore. I guess I guess the latest episodic Hitman didn't do whatever Square expected it to, and so the company uh, is independent now. But they did get all the rights to all the Hitman stuff when they left Square. So, which is good. Yeah, good for it's them. Like their, it's their one IP. So that's yeah, it's a IO, IO Interactive. Uh, thank you, IO. IO.
2: Okay. Yeah, one game of the year from Giant Bomb last year.
1: It's an awesome game. Uh, and. Even even I can tolerate the stealthing in it, so uh, it's, it's really fun. Uh, it's challenging, and there are di- there are different missions, and you can design your own missions in it. Uh, so if you want to make one where you're not going around everywhere and you just want to snipe people, you have a lot of flexibility on how you lay out how the mission will go. So oh, I should do that.
2: The one when you have a shotgun and you just run
1: around—that's the one I want to do. That's what Tony was referencing about my traditional hitman. We call it mm. the traditional <laughs> hitman play style. Except I usually <laughs> use the I usually use the M16, but. My old uh, commando slash predator yeah. days, but
0: just dual ballers. That's what you need. It's just dual ballers and just walk in the map. And as long as the person you're supposed to die, it
2: doesn't matter how many other people die.
1: Yeah, it was a
2: it was that <laughs> civilian yeah. casualties getting wrecked up. Yeah,
1: it wasn't so much Hitman <laughs> as sociopath, but you know, you, you make do with what you have. <laughs> That's uh, a catchy name too. Yeah, yeah, that would have been my that would have been my series, but I, I have no talent for design. Speaking of talent, Don, Mir- Miracle Merchant, this sounds like the name of a guy who would be selling some magic pills and Princess Bride. So what's uh, going on It with does.
2: This? No, this actually reminded me of uh, Tony because he was raving about Potion Explosion or whatever. Yep,
1: Potion mm-hmm. Explosion.
2: This is not like that. This is a card game. You have uh, four decks and you get to lay four cards down at a time and they create different potions. And you have a line of customers coming in. And they want different potions, like one guy might want a blue potion. So you have to have blue in there, but then the other three ingredients, you kind of put in whatever you want. And it's an iOS game. It was supposed to be a SpongeBob hamburger making game with, uh, so instead of having dark magic, they would have like a tire that you have to integrate into the, the Krabby Patty that you're making, but it was not picked up by, uh, Nickelodeon or whatever. So the guy just decided to release it on his own. Uh, has great art. I think it's two bucks. And this has become the game over the past few weeks. I, I do a lot of mobile gaming and this is the one that I keep going back for one more game. Or if I'm standing in line somewhere, I play a quick game. Cause you can, it's similar to solitaire in that not every, not every game is winnable. Uh, just the way the cards are dealt, you might not be able to satisfy somebody right away. Uh, and it ends your game immediately and you have to try again. So. Um,
1: overcooked with cards.
2: Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I've gone that uh, far. The box. (laughs) (laughs) There's not, there's no multitasking. There's no timer. You can just kind of go at your own speed, but I think it's tiny touch tails or something is the guy who made it. And he's made a couple other card games, a card crawl and card thief are kind of the really big ones. Uh, this is not nearly as deep as card crawl, but it's really fun, super polished. And, once, like, usually I don't give card games the time to figure out how they work. I just want to play poker or solitaire or blackjack. But this <laughs> one didn't take that long. In five minutes I felt like, oh, I get the strategy here. And I've been playing it for weeks and it still like feels really good when I actually finish a hand and win. So, worth a look for sure.
0: I like cool. card-based games, so I might have to give this a look. So you're saying if it started out as the originally planned as a hamburger making game for the SpongeBob. So it's kind of like those, uh, I know my wife and kids, they like to play those cake making games where they have to make cakes for customers and stuff. So it's kind of like that where you have to make the right no. one based off of what you got or
2: no, like the gameplay is, is not like that at all. If the gameplay is similar to solitaire, there's a, you know, four decks of different color right in front of you. And you take one card off of each deck to make a potion. And that's it. Oh, interesting. The guy either likes it and leaves or doesn't like it and the game's over. So, it's really simple uh, gameplay.
1: And I did just check it. It is on Android as well. Yeah, I think it's free to play on Android with ads. It is. It contains ads and it has in-app purchase options. Okay. Yeah, worth the two bucks or whatever
2: it is to get rid of the ads. Yeah, ads can be – it's amazing
0: to me how long on mobile games people will sit there and complain about the ads and it's like, really, this game is
2: 99 cents. Right, I know. Think of the value you're getting out of a 99-cent game.
0: Yeah. I mean, usually you can can
2: get a coin doubler and no ads for a buck or two.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's it's Galaxy of Heroes where every time they pop up a thing, it's 60 bucks. It's like, hey – you can have these cards for sixty bucks. Yeah, I still or play people that buy game, a
2: sixty dollars console game and then they play it for an hour and never touch it again. But they'll play a mobile game for four hours a day. Yeah, That's, I was. We got to change the stigma of paid mobile games.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that actually because paid mobile games are it would be something that would be a decent. A decent way to spend, you know, because most of them are a dollar to even five dollars. I mean, I've spent five dollars on games that I've got almost no playtime in at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use the uh, I, I don't know if you've ever used it, but the, there's the Steam database where you can pull up and look at your account on Steam and it tells you like all the games you have and how many hours you've played and done all that stuff. But since we were talking about stuff, I I, I went ahead and pulled it up. and I mean, I've got my average game play time per game I own is 15 and a half hours. But the thing is, is most oh. of those games cost me probably 30 plus bucks. So, I mean, if I can spend more than that on a game that costs me 99 cents or I can watch ads and get annoyed by ads, I don't see why I shouldn't spend the
2: 99 cents. Yeah. And the reason why those ads are there is because people wouldn't pay a dollar for so long so they had to start making games free to play. Now you got to sit through ads all the time. Isn't your time more valuable? Thirty I would a thirty think second so. ad, a thirty second ad every two minutes. You know wh- what is that? Fifteen minutes an hour.
1: Yeah, it's pretty heavy when you think about it compared to what you'd see with TV or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, pretty sad, but that's, it, it's interesting how different in different categories, how different it is. You look at the price one's willing to pay for a retail video game versus what one's willing to pay for a, a mobile game, even if they're going to put more hours in or, and we can extend it to the other categories. And you look at the price per game of pinball, when you buy a pinball machine and the people who will buy a brand new machine and they sell it with 200 plays. And it's like, well, I, I get it. They're getting a lot of their money back, but, but still it's sort of like, you probably just gone on location, dropped some quarters, but
2: well, yeah. If you're on location and you see a WWE you've never seen it before, you go, "Oh, I'm willing to try that." Oh, it's a dollar. Okay, well, I've s- I wanted to play it. I never played it before. You still paid a dollar right there for three and a half minutes of WWE.
1: Yeah, and the whole thing was an ad, so you kind of got screwed both ways. <laughs> that's right. <true.
2: laughs> and there's the fact that you just wasted a dollar because you played WWE. Yeah,
0: but they didn't know any yes. better.
1: They didn't know any better. Yeah, uh, that's what I was getting at. So uh, I see the final game we've got listed here. Oh, and this is very full circle because when Don was last guest hosting with us, we had him discuss uh, No Man's Sky. And Tony, you've noted No Man's Sky because there was a fairly significant update that just recently hit. So I'll let you guys explain what is going on. If Don, if you've revisited No Man's Sky, Tony, if you've gotten a chance to try it as of the new updates. Yep.
0: I, I have. I picked it up. I've played, um, four hours and change about four and a half hours, uh, of it. And it's, it's not bad, actually. I mean, I, it's required three major updates, which is humorous because they've had three major updates to put out a game that has probably had the worst launch of any game ever. But Mass Effect Andromeda has been abandoned already. So, that's just crazy. And they got all their eggs
2: in one basket. Yeah, but it's, hello, game says
0: it's not terrible. I'm not saying it's in a magical game. It's definitely nowhere, nowhere near what people were expecting. But I think the hype on No Man's Sky hit the point where it would never be what anybody was ever expecting. But I have actually enjoyed the time I have put into it. It's got some quirks. And it's got some UI things that I think are a little annoying. I'm not big on having to hold a button for five seconds to acknowledge that, yes, this is the button I wanted to hit. But. (laughs) Yeah. You did not play it pre-patch? I I did not play it before this newest patch. This newest. So I I don't. I, I, I read about it. I know it didn't have the, uh, you couldn't, you basically had no ability to fly low altitude. You had no, and they've added some of that, though it's still not
2: great. And I know they've added, they've just been adding tons and tons of stuff to it. Well, yeah, you're saying like, uh it's still not great. It's got some quirks. This thing is like Witcher 3 compared to how it first came out.
1: Oh, wow. It, wow. I played <laughs> about.
2: Yeah, it's come a long, long way. I played a ton of it when it came out and then a little bit here and there, but I played about two hours this week after the big, the big, huge single player patch and it's way different. Like I had to remember the controls that they had changed so much stuff and added so much. Uh, it looks way better. It plays way better. Uh, you, when you walk into an outpost, there was like five aliens in the first outpost I went to. You'd only ever seen one on a planet, period. There'd be one guy in there and if he didn't have what you needed, you had to fly to a different star system and find another space station to talk to somebody else. Huh. Uh, this one has bartenders and all kinds of stuff. They had, I couldn't believe how much stuff they had it. Just walking around that first space station that I was docked at was totally different. Uh, getting down to the planet, there were tons and tons of animals. There were uh, fauna everywhere where usually you might see like one or two here and there. Then you have to get up and fly to another location and maybe see another couple. Um, I was just nailing, I had like probably 15 in the first 10 minutes of walking around on a planet. It was overwhelming to me. And I'm somebody, I probably played 30 hours of it when it came out. Uh, yeah, I'd say, did you just buy it or did you own it already? And just didn't play. I
0: just bought it. I I had not, I, I was on my short list to buy and, It reviewed so badly and some of the streams I watched of it and talking to you, I, I left it on my wish list, but I'm started, I purchased other, I spent my, my, my money on other stuff instead, but I left it on the wish. Do you remember how much it was now? Um, I got it. It was on sale for $23.
2: Okay. Yeah. I'd say for 20 bucks around 25 bucks or whatever, it's fine. Like I think there's enough content there and it's kind of fun exploring, uh, your, your opinion is probably more valuable because you're literally in that position. But since I spent 60 or no, I bought the limited edition, so I don't know how much I spent. Uh, what did the limited ed- edition get you? I think it came with a book and a steel case and uh, some DLC. Which, by the way, you got the DLC, so you redeem it right away, you get a new ship. But the game didn't support the ship. So I used my ship and I flew to another star system and it didn't give you enough fuel to get back or to go anywhere else. (laughs) So I was stuck in a solar system and I couldn't leave it. So I had to restart my game six hours in. (laughs) Yeah, it was,
1: it's come a long way. Did they expand the story with the, with these updates?
2: Yeah. Big time. Um, Yeah. It was like 30 hours hours thing. Yeah. It says it has a 30 hour single player. Um, Basically when you, when I started it now, it said, Oh, you have a beacon here. Uh, Do you want to go check it out? I went and checked it out, and there was an actual person talking to me, which I had never seen in the game. And you you start to explore who this person is, and there was nothing like that in the other one. It was basically just get to the next solar system, so you can get to the center of the galaxy was your only drive previously. So it was really cool, like getting to know some some dude talking to me. I don't know. I didn't finish the story. I'm still working on it, so we'll see where it goes. It's kind of neat. Yeah, I've, like I said, I've
0: been working on it. I've just uh slowly it's been not terrible i uh, i mean like i said i it obviously still has rooms room for improvement but not having played it and obviously from what you said it's come a long long way it is not a game that at this point where i'm just going to go well no, i'm i'm not going to play this anymore this isn't worth it. it it's enjoyable enough i'll keep playing it as i get the time to play it and when i'm not if busy this chasing at, the russians
2: yeah, if this launched at 30 bucks with no physical copy, uh, maybe it could have ended up like a battle. What is it? Player Unknown Battlegrounds, something like that. That gains traction. Mm, like, oh, yeah. did you see this cool game? This is this indie game that lets you explore all over and kind of snowballs from there.
1: But uh, I actually, advertising I, screwed it. I heard the uh, I heard a comparison on a different video game podcast talking about that. It brought up the Player Unknown and the idea of that No Man's Sky might have been a game that could have thrived if it had been early access in the condition that it launched at and yeah. that it would have been forgiven in those cases. But now they're basically patching their mistakes um, versus say, or they do do the, the dawn method here kind of recorded where that game wasn't fully polished out. They launched it at $40 because it wasn't up to snuff for a full retail release though. That game apparently I heard is getting uh, patched up with some 4k support. And apparently You go through that. I I won that game. I mentioned it a while ago. I, there was a robot I never found and I didn't need him to win. So I didn't think about it. Apparently that robot wasn't, was never put into the game. He was on the cover and everything and they didn't put him in and he's been added now. So, so I'm I'm glad I didn't try and find him, but because I wouldn't have thought about that. Oh, wait, wait. They have an outline for him and everything. Where is he? Oh, well, I won. I'm tired of it. Uh, sort of thing where you so you kind of have those you know you had these two other options you launch at a lower price point and basically acknowledge this is not going to be what you expect of a typical retail release, or you pull a player unknown and say we're going to do early access, but maybe you don't do what player unknown does and you're like we've been in early access forever and we have millions and millions of people and we're still not out of early access which I think is a it's a little weird. I find it a little disconcerting. Like, is it up for Game of the Year awards, or do we have to wait for it to be released? I, I That's don't know. really common, though. Look at Minecraft. Wasn't Minecraft like early access? Yes, for yes. But I haven't played Minecraft five so years. I can be as judgmental as I want. Well, oh, so was Kerbal Play Space
0: right right Program. Right Kerbal Space Program was early yeah. access for years and years and years.
2: Elite I, Dangerous,
1: I think. I I question. I yeah. I know Elite's been early access. I, I question whether or not they should be early access that long, but. I, I, if, it, if it's getting good games, that's fine. That's up to the it's up to the consumer if they're willing to spend that much money for a game that to basically be a beta tester.
2: But well, oh, did you buy Star Trek New in Box before the code was done?
1: No, 2015. Oh. No, there have been no code updates since I bought. Okay. No hypocrisy. So you you, you did do not get bait. to box me into hypocrisy. That's right. <laughs> I have shielded myself. Beta tested. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm not. I'm on whatever the I guess what the latest one is 1.21 or whatever they called it. Post uh, Dwight's interview. Carl Urban. Okay. Or or wait, no, who do they have intervene on that? No, I guess it was Lyman came Ooh. in and, and added the metals or whatever. I don't yeah. know. I haven't gotten to flash. I haven't gotten to uh, do a code update on anything except with ROM chips. So Jurassic Park, Sharky's wasn't on the latest code. I had a ROM chip. I took the same ones as Jurassic, actually, because I bought like a set of tin from China. And got my burner out, put on the, the latest ROM so it wouldn't burn out the magnet. <sighs> Tech. Fancy. Yeah. Yeah, my 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 twenty dollar burner, Eprom Berman, on the slow boat from China. Yeah, that one was slow too. They're all slow. Okay, well, that was the entire list of video games. I didn't know uh, if you guys had any other ones you wanted to talk about. Uh, just a quick uh
0: thing to throw out there because there's nothing to talk about at all other than the announcement itself. But apparently, Age of Empires Four is coming.
1: Oh, I did see something about that. Are There's you a big no Age of from- Empire fan, Tony?
0: I played the first two a fair amount. At least the first one. I know I played Age of Empires a lot. I think I've played three of them. So, I don't... Have I played the third one? I don't know. I know I played the first one a lot. I remember playing the second one for sure.
1: I think I played two of the most. The third one I played was not number three. It was a it was a Games for Windows Live uh, free to play one. I forget the name of it.
0: Yeah, these were yeah because I played them. They're not in my Steam list because I played them without Steam. <gasps> it's amazing.
1: You, you I, used to hate Steam. I did hate used to hate
0: Steam. I I dodged Steam vengeance. forever with a passion. And now that's like oh it's not on Steam. I don't want to buy it anyway. <laughs> it's not quite that bad,
2: <laughs>
0: but. Yeah, but no, almost. I just almost, but yeah, no, there it's kind of shocking. Cause as I recall, age of empires three came out in 2005. So it's been 12 years since an age of empires game came out and they just announced four.
1: Okay. Well, uh, all I remember is that if you won an RTS game with lots of civilization choices, it was a, it was a decent one to consider. Yeah,
0: the first one was 97. That that makes sense. It was 97. That was when we played... I played lots of Age of Empires. I, I seem to recall... A, I know we played this at, at one of the LAN parties that was primarily us playing Total Annihilation for a month.
1: Yes, not the pin, but the reason why the pin had to be renamed.
0: Yeah, the the old Total Annihilation RTS game. Back where we could do stuff like have a month long land party. Oh man, my power bill was so high that month.
1: So high. <laughs> That's bad from the heating though.
0: Well, yeah, it was from the heating and the fact that we had what seven computers running from the in the apartment from the day, um, from the day winter break started until the day before we went back to school. Just nothing but computers going on full-time playing Half-Life, like original Half-Life and Age of Empires and, and Total Annihilation, and
2: that was a good month.
1: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't my bill, so it was great.
2: <laughs> you guys have known each other that long?
1: We've known oh. each other since kindergarten. Yeah, we were in oh, the wow. same
2: kindergarten class. Whoa. Whoa. We need to do a throwback episode: the origins of the
1: Click to Gamers podcast. Maybe not. Well, if if I mean if people think that we've been too exciting, and really need to like tone it down. Some, I guess we can go into a completely <laughs> right. not interesting history. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of all of that. Well, speaking of toning it down, I think we're at the end of the episode. Then, Don, yep. I don't know. Do you have anything you you want to plug? Nope. Uh, that's right. Thank you for having me
2: on. No, no problem.
1: Yeah, it's, it's always it's great nice. to have you. Your your diversity in playing a variety of video games uh, is a good counterweight to my constant playing of like two video games.
2: <laughs> yeah, when are we gonna do the Overwatch onslaught segment?
1: Oh gosh, Next hour? Yeah, I gotta put it. I'm I, I'm as much as I lament having to hold it for another two weeks. I'm hoping the finalized uh, uh player test uh server stuff is gonna be. Kind of cobbled together because they're t- there's so- don There's so many changes. It's incredible. So many changes.
2: I've got totally they've lost. they got to
1: fix their little played. broken thing. Yeah, yeah. they got to fix some stuff. But but it's going to be incredible. Yeah, it's a you know all I could say. I mean Tony played it quite a quite a bit before I finally tried it, and I I really like it. So I'm not a normally a multiplayer person, but uh, I like I like. It's class-based, and I like that because I feel like I can play different roles, and I can be impactful, even if I'm not a great shot, which I'm not. So Yeah,
2: they they screwed up Mercy, though, and she's my go-to.
1: No, no, Mercy. These changes, she's a god now. Valkyrie uh, online forever.
2: Until they know her again.
1: again. Last time I played was the day Anya came out. Yeah, she was very overpowered. But the, the announcement that we're not really announcing, but I'll go ahead and mention since you brought up Mercy, is that they're changing Mercy so she can do her resurrections without – use. that's not her ultimate anymore. She just does that regular now. Instead, she turns into a flying goddess with an unlimited ammo pistol that can headshot everyone. Sounds dope. Yep. <laughs> they wanted to make her more fun. So how do you make someone more fun? You give them more guns. That's how you do it. That's video games. Well, uh, I guess I'll just say if anyone wants to write to the podcast, email address is eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. we on a variety of social media platforms, namely Facebook, facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. Or on Twitter and Instagram at eclectic underscore gamers. And Twitch at the very same place. When Tony does his donation drive at elite level of cold waters, be ready for that announcement. <laughs> it is imminent. imminent.
0: Yeah, yeah, as soon as I buy a new computer.
1: Well, until those two weeks, I'll say I'm Dennis. I'm Tony. And that's Dawn. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.